my work is great insofar as its philosophy is sound. And if the philosophy is unsound, work will not endure. And if it didn't have that philosophy, it wouldn't have existed. A philosophy is deduced from nature. And according as the philosophy is parallel to the truths and uh, processes of nature, it endures. Without philosophy, there is no understanding of anything. Without your philosophic resolution and analysis of knowledge, as applied to life, what are you? It's the only place you can get it. What applies to me applies to you just as much. There's no specialty in these things of philosophy. There is only philosophy with a capital P. <laughs> Man is a phase of nature. And only as he is related to nature does he matter, is he of any account whatever, above the dust. If he is a man, in the sense of a, of a good philosophy, he is inevitably created. America for 300 years has been the land of promise for the rest of the world, the land of new frontiers, new opportunities. Yeah, we can Good evening, this is Tank Riot. This is episode 126, where we cover Frank White White from Swingwing, Wisconsin. Frank <laughs> Wink and Life. <laughs> I am Sputnik, with me as always is Tor. And Hello. of course, Victor. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> Screwing with us, man. I am dicking with you early on. We're coming at you live from Tampa Bay, Florida. Oh, <laughs> covering the convention. It's about as hot here in tropical Madison, Wisconsin, but we're not yeah. there. I did my... Still in Madison. I already yeah. did a line of coke off a whore. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here at the Republican convention. Yeah, I guess apparently according to the Daily Show, they have some of the best strip clubs in Tampa, which wow. has to be a big poll for the Republicans. I would think so. I mean, there's probably people down there, you know, scouting it out before even uh, Isaac uh, made landfall. I'm yeah. thinking. I wonder where they got oh, yeah. the data point that, you know, more prostitutes are, you know, employed better during Republican conventions than Democrat conventions. Do you think they're like hooker migrations? I mean, because when you have Maybe. a big <laughs> convention it's like, like fish this, you know, you, town. I mean, I'm sure local talent it's probably gets overwhelmed. Show. So you got to yeah. bring in, you know, some from Miami or as they say in Burn Notice, Mimi. I heard that. I don't think it's a rumor, but because it does make perfect sense. It's one of those. Oh, that's perfect sense. Of yeah. course, the Republicans would yeah. bring in more. <laughs> We're putting radio transmitter collars on the hookers to tra trace their migration. I see the Democrats more like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Have you been uh, watching the convention? No, no. Oh, just, my God. Just tiny bits and pieces. I saw like five minutes and it's like, it's just crazy. I, I mean, they everything they say is false i know it's, just, it's, it's not even close just making shit up of course i had to watch the one where our esteemed governor spoke because wisconsin is a lesson wisconsin is a lesson to all of us a lesson to us all <laughs> we can yeah. quack down on these wibbles <laughs> yeah of course if we're talking to uh, republicans and sex uh, one of uh 
Walker's cabinet members uh, recently got caught in an affair with uh, another employee. Ooh. And um, man, woman, goat, uh, small child, a, a, <laughs> woman, a, a woman, <laughs> a woman, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then the uh, the woman's uh, husband found out about it, and he went Ooh. berserk. Yeah, it's kind of a sad story. I think they've had some you know personal problems and everything but wow he kind of went berserk and tried to set her on fire and holy shit yeah so it's it's messed up frank lloyd but (laughs) yeah no yeah we're we're we're, we're, it it was in the paper you know (laughs) it's italian yeah weird stuff but that's that's wild well uh i've been watching some very fun programs uh hell on wheels second season started even more gritty bloody and awesome than the last season fabulous thumbs way up copper which premiered on the bbc there's been two episodes of that was fantastic so it's like 1864 new york so like you know the draft riots were like just about a year ago mm-hmm. and these guys are coppers which means they're detectives or plain clothes so the the first episode starts where there's a bank robbery so they pretty much know this is going to happen so they corner the guys in an alley in the five points and kill them and then start like taking things off of them then the other cops come and then they take the beat cops and they take their cut and then finally someone takes some of the money back to the bank <laughs> it was pretty cool we've recovered your losses it... <laughs> what? Yeah. you know i think there was a lot more but the uh and, and it was like dealing with child prostitution like right off the bat it was it's pretty gritty so so <laughs> sunday night you've got helen wheels and copper and doctor who again starts up this saturday very excited looking forward to that so i've been reading some stuff on the interwebs mm-hmm. and so the skinny is is that uh, they're going to be in New York and it's going to be a Weeping Angel episode and they're going to battle statue, the, maybe? the biggest Weeping Angel of all. Spoilers. <laughs> the Statue of Liberty, which I think is so awesome. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Oh, oh pff, I'm there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I, I, I hear have, Amy Pond is naked in this one, I have too. To, I have to watch the webisode things first. I haven't gotten to them. Oh, wow. But maybe tomorrow. Well, I got to tell you guys, driving over here to the studio... I saw something that may very well scar me for life. <laughs> I saw a grown man <laughs> naked. <laughs> Just about. <laughs> there Do was you guys this... run into each other? <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, I, anyway, this guy, he was riding a scooter, but with only... A Speedo and a cape? <laughs> yes. Yes. That guy goes past our office at 2 o'clock every day, and I, really? I make a point, and we all go out there now, and it's like it's, it's like 5 o'clock Charlie. It's Whoa. Like, oh, man. Keep it flying, dude. And the, the little thong he wears, it's like skin colored, so from a right. distance, he probably looks totally naked. And the cape is like... Uh, it's the, a sheet. Yeah, it's the, the orange and, and yellow... <laughs> Uh, safety colors, right? That like workmen would wear. It's, it's called the cry for help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing he's just you know cruising in front of the college coeds and no, yeah, he was the fun. He was doing it all summer. <laughs> all summer, yeah. yeah. It was pretty. It's yeah. Wow. He is our five o'clock Charlie. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Interesting. Wow. Madison. Right. Well. What we, do you know? We could all enter group therapy when we're... Oh, yeah. That's it. Oh, <laughs> another series that I caught recently that I really, really loved was Bullet in the Face, uh, which has Eddie Izzard uh-huh. in it. And it's just, it's this great stylized ultraviolence 
Uh, great soundtrack by AMA. That's a series or a movie? It's a series. Huh, okay. I'll look for it. The Viking Princess and I have been uh, trying to find more comedy because we found out recently she really loves stand-up comedy. So we're kind of oh, wow. working our way through the different comedians. But That's cool. we started with the very safe and entertaining Brian Regan because mm-hmm. he's he's really good, but he's clean, perfectly clean. Right. Did some Bill Cosby. And then she's she lives with me, so she's heard enough F-bombs that we've... Yeah. Quickly graduated to the Eddie Izzards of the world. We're doing Lenny Bruce. Yeah, I don't think the, I don't think she's there yet. Uh, she's got to go through puberty and get really upset about the world before she can really appreciate the Carlins and the some more of those dark other humor. Yeah, real dark humor that's out there. Oh but, god! But, but Eddie Izzard, we've been watching the specials, and it gives me a chance to talk to her about some really interesting, you know, history. And mm-hmm. you know, he's talking about all kinds of stuff from the he, Pope to the. He's one of my favorite yeah. comedians. He's he's brilliant, and I love it when he comes out in drag. Yeah. You know, which is pretty much all the time. Oh, you know, when yeah. you see him in movies, he's always, you know, not in drag. But mm-hmm. when he comes out for his, his stand up routines, like he always said, <laughs> I used to hide my makeup in the trees, and every once in a while I'd see a squirrel, like, la, 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 la. <laughs> I'm a fucking squirrel. <laughs> Why do I, I need makeup? <laughs> yeah, he is great. He is really funny. So we've been watching a lot of stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all we've been up to. Oh yeah, that's cool. We uh, we had some like switch in our our cable plan, so I mean because we've been longtime customers, so they they said, whoa, you know, you could do this or you could do that, and they said, oh, we can just grandfather you and put you on the silver plan. And go, well, what's the silver plan? So we get like all this HBO and Showtime now, and you find out that you know there's crap on those too, except for some of the series like I like to follow, like you know True Blood or. Um, weeds or um boardwalk empire mm, mm-hmm. you know so i mean there's so they they sneak a few in but and then they have that uh web therapy with uh, lisa kudrow which is kind of good and then they also you know and uh, like friend news uh joey is actually in a successful matt i can't think of his matt name. leblanc matt leblanc matt thank LeBlanc. you uh, he's he's in this thing called episodes where he essentially kind of plays a joey variant mm-hmm. but you know, at least he's found something. He's not he suffering from Chandler syndrome. <laughs> that poor guy. That he's, oh, I feel bad for him. He's like Don Rickles. You know, he's just in pilot after pilot, and they just bomb. I suffered my way through the Roseanne Barr uh, roast too. I that was help pretty myself. hard. It was hard. Yeah, yeah. Have you watched any of uh, Jeff Ross's? Burn? No, I haven't yeah, yet. That's pretty good. I, I bet you the Viking Princess would like that. I heard Mark Maron was on it, and yeah, I'd mm-hmm. like to check that out. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that would be fairly decent. Yeah, and also the other thing we watched recently was a 2008 episode of Mythbusters because wow. it was all about how to fake the moon landing or how the moon landing oh, wasn't yeah, fake yeah, right. uh, and how to bust or prove the, the myths about the conspiracy theories. Did we or did we not go to the moon? Apparently, according to the Mythbusters, thank God we did go to the moon. Yeah, You know, that one I think is, is just... A classic. It's it, it's yeah. like, it's like a flat Earth, mm-hmm. you know, like the flat Earth society is like, come on, stop it. Well, stop you know, in twenty yeah. years, oh, I was absolutely furious when after Neil Armstrong had died, which yeah. is the reason why I watched this episode right. of MythBusters. Yeah, we all. I'm listening. Yeah. I put on mm-hmm. This Week in Tech, one of my favorite tech shows, mm-hmm. and Adam Curry's on it. And usually, I can kind of put up with him. He's got some really interesting points and things, mm-hmm. and he just does not believe we landed on the moon and slighted Neil Armstrong's memory. And it just infuriated me that that 
idiot was on this week in tech talking about how yeah. we weren't on the moon and and just in like putting the flames, lighting the flames, you know, stewing mm-hmm. the pot and making people believe in bullshit and absolute lies. And it's just frustrating that here he is on a major megaphone with tech heads talking trash about Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Well, he is no. That has no basis in fact. <laughs> no, there is proof. no basis in fact, and we should acknowledge the passing of Neil Armstrong because I mean yeah. that that is a you know a big landmark, and and uh, yeah. So there's been many documentaries about the space race and everything that went on, yeah. and it was it very interesting. I mean, take your pick. There was many, many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, by definition, if you're the first man to set foot on the moon, that being the farthest man has ever gone. Uh, he's kind of was the greatest explorer ever yeah. to live so far. There was an Eddie Izzard about that yeah. too, where he's yeah. like, one giant penis for, oh no! <laughs> I did, oh. I'm going to go back and do that over again. <laughs> kind of like Houdini. <laughs> let's, let's get yeah, that right. Yeah. But on Adam Curry, uh, I have to say one thing. Uh, well, a couple things. One, uh, we did land on the moon. And two, Adam Curry did not invent podcasting. Ooh, yeah. burn. There you go, Adam. Burn. Yeah. He's he only likes... highly successful at it. Well, he, <laughs> likes to, he likes to think he did, but right, uh, right, right. I, wow. I think if he did, he's going to take credit away from Neil Armstrong, I think we can take credit away from With Adam him. Curry, it, it was probably all Dave Weiner and a bunch of other people, right? I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Well, I think... I think with Adam Curry, it's like... I think I'd, I've probably related this to you before. I, I had this this good friend who... You know, he he was very well read and and very interesting to talk to on a number of different levels and issues and so forth. But he he had this thing about Nostradamus, Mm -hmm. like somehow the shit would circle back to Nostradamus. And and it was like, come on, that shit's like a Rorschach blot. It can be, you know, it can fit anything. It doesn't matter. You know, like like once in a blue moon, it's hilarious to discuss Nostradamus. (laughs) Right. There's some crazy funny stuff about that, but absolutely nothing real. You know, no, no. But yeah, but they've applied him like over and over, over and over through the years. But that's kind of my point is that, you know, some people you are fun to talk to on a bunch of different issues. And, you know, people don't always have to agree. That's fine. But then there's always kind of this one weird bump in the road. You know, like it could be Bigfoot. It right. could be UFOs. It could be whatever. Mm-hmm. And someone really started buying into it. And that's that raw, exposed nerve. My brother and I are a little bit like that because I'm a complete and utter skeptic. Not closed-minded, but an utter skeptic, unless you've oh, got sure. some proof, unless you can show me some Bigfoot droppings or a Bigfoot. We talked about this in our conspiracies episode. Dude, they, they, uh, they discover like a thousand insects a they, year they, in uh, <laughs> South America. I know they do, but they're really tiny. And you know, yeah. another Bigfoot hoaxer got hit by a car recently and killed right. because oh, he was no. wearing this giant outfit. Oh, which which I thought was himself. hilarious. He got, well, to, I mean, he got run over by two cars and <laughs> killed on <laughs> the road. So anyway, it's just hilarious. But anyway, we've got all these night vision things, whatever. Right. But he and I just agree to disagree on some things. I think he believes right. some of those things, and I just can't. I can't. Right. There's no way I can. Sure. But, Need more but proof. It's, but it's like talking to the religious sometimes. You're not going to convince someone in a conversation. It's over. You know, oh, well, you've changed my mind. I've talked to you right. for five minutes, Victor. You've, I now don't yes. believe anymore. I have completely embraced your worldview. <laughs> Thank you so much. What was I thinking all this time? <laughs> It's funny. Uh, there, I was watching. Uh, I, I don't generally watch this series, but every once in a while, if they have an interesting, um, interesting title, I might watch uh, through the wormhole with 
uh, Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. The real Morgan Freeman, not the one the Republicans <laughs> use. But... Yeah, the fake one. The fake Everything's Morgan fake. Freeman. <laughs> the Republican Party. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fake Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, was, it was called Did We Create God? And what was interesting was is that they they showed all these these different cognitive experiments that that they run, and just to show how belief systems and areas of the brain that tend to flare when somebody's engaged in a spiritual activity like praying or meditation. Right. So they, I don't know how this guy worked this out, but he would he would have people come in, you know, Tibetan monks and uh, Catholic priests or whoever, and or atheist meditators, and he would he while they're in the middle of this meditation, he would just inject them with this harmless radioactive dye, and then put them through the you know the scanner mm-hmm. to see how they're you know what flared in the brains. And what was interesting was is that whether it was you know a Tibetan monk or a Catholic priest or whoever, there were certain areas of the brain, like the language centers and then the frontal lobes that would activate because you know praying is the to the brain whether you're talking to God or you're talking to somebody, it all activates the same way. Right. But in the atheist meditators, they didn't activate it. Wow, <laughs> and I just thought that was fascinating because because a Buddhist meditator would be the same thing. I mean, you're not talking to God; it's not about God. Mm-hmm. But again, it was just a different. Well, you read about the researcher at uh, the University of Wisconsin here, uh, Doctor Richard Davidson, mm-hmm. who does all this work with the Buddhist monks, where he yes. brings them in and has them meditate and goes in the scanners and does these MRIs of their brains while they're. Madison. Yeah. I mean, we should tell our listeners Madison is uh, one of these places that we have a very large Tibetan population. Mm-hmm. But we also he has a great connection with that community and brings <clears> them in. He's always in. The UW alumni magazines, and he's been on Time magazine and all these other things with this research he does on the meditating Buddhists, and mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating stuff. Oh, it really is. It truly yeah. is. Well, and, but they had another experiment that I thought was even more mm-hmm. intriguing, and what it was is uh, they would have these people in their cubicles. This would be the um, control group, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they would show them two symbols on a computer screen, and they'd say, what is the connection between these two symbols? And then something would flash on saying correct or incorrect. For the control group, most of them said correct. And then at the end of the experiment, they would show them a picture of essentially white noise. You know, so so like your TV, if it was just on no channel. Mm-hmm. And it would say, well, do you see a picture inside of this this picture? And, and if so, what is it? Then the experimental group, was they showed them the same slides... <clears throat> but they kept saying incorrect, incorrect, incorrect. And then they showed him the the static screen at the end, and they almost invariably saw a image of some kind. So the brain, even even when you're a young child, wants to make order out of chaos. Right. It's always looking for some sort of organizing pattern or pattern. Yeah. So when you're frustrated, then you start looking for patterns in the chaos, like probably early mankind. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Wait, it must be Thor, the sun, your God. <laughs> Which yeah. actually I believe in, but. Sure. <laughs> I want an Avengers 2. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was just interesting. And it, and it didn't really take a, you know, so, so they were just trying to look, try to examine from a brain uh, model what. What does the brain do during spiritual moments or what activates in the brain? So it was very interesting, I thought. Hmm. And, of course, wonderfully narrated by Morgan Freeman. And Dark Matters, the second season started. Oh, my God, they're so cool. 
They've got some of the great stories. They finally covered the Tuskegee uh-huh. syphilis um, experiments, and I'm air quoting huge because it, they really weren't experiments. Right. But, uh, they finally covered that one, and it's 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 kind of it's kind of unusual that with all the movies that have come out about the Tuskegee Airmen, that you that it's been that whole thing has been kind of wiped out. How they they just you know, didn't tell these people they had syphilis. And... Yeah, I don't think that's wiped out. I think that's really well. I mean, I think a lot of people know that. I think I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure that they do. So that was that was very good. Uh, you know, very good that they covered that. And then, of course, had their usual fascinating stories about other uh, the so-called N-rays that this guy thought he saw in France, but it, he really didn't see anything. He just kind of convinced himself. And mm. so anyway, just lots of fascinating uh, documentary TV uh, especially after the, I say the passing of Neil, mm-hmm. because uh, there's there's a lot of really good in depth information about the documentaries about the space race. But again, uh, a DVD that I always recommend is uh, Sputnik Mania because it ties in uh, Dwight Eisenhower, and we've often talked about the you know unwarranted influence of the military industrial right. complex. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Eisenhower was always seen as not really caring about the space race or caring about Sputnik. But again, I think he was one of these people that saw from the beginning how, you know, we have government, the military and business and the government is at the top of the pyramid and much larger. And then pretty soon the other two just so overshadow it. And in his lifetime, he was certainly acute enough and in the corridors of power to see all this. So when Sputnik launched, he was like, you know, it's a little fucking ball. It beeps. So what? Mm-hmm. Because he knew that people would use this as a leverage point to start making ICBMs, and they did. So I think the real tragedy of uh, Neil Armstrong's passing is the fact that we have not made any attempt to go to the moon since. I mean, this or this anywhere was, else, or I anywhere mean, else. I yeah. mean, it's just it's just died on the vine, and and so well, it, it's we've got the robots, the, the, yeah, the bot. It, it's it's starting. It's kind of starting up again. It is slowly but surely. Slowly, yeah. yeah. America's but, but other priorities countries. are very, very skewed. I mean, we we spend way too much. Honestly, we don't have to get into it, but there's so much spent on military, so yeah. little spent yeah. on the other things, and and then all this whining about NASA getting all this money, which is like pennies. Yeah, you know? they don't so get that much. It's yeah. ridiculous. We could spend uh, a ton budget more. Is a few days of uh, water and supplies to troops, you know, in Afghanistan and Iraq. I've, yeah. I've been reading uh, version two of um, Toward a Post-America World, and that's a, I really recommend that book. Um, I'm going to totally blank on his name now. He's he's a, a CNN reporter. He's been on The Daily Show many times. Uh, Farika Zid? Or... No, it's... Z- Zakari? Zakari. Farika Zakari. And didn't he just kind of get stuck in a plagiarism issues? One of those guys did. I don't think it was him, but in, in any case, it's it's very it, yeah. his book is very interesting because he takes the tack that it's not that America is in decline; it's that everyone else is rising. And but one of the problems is mm-hmm. is that America has always been heavily invested in the arms industry and weapon systems. But the fact of the matter is, is because we have you know twenty four seven news coverage, <clears throat> events that are not really indicative of you know the world's in turmoil and you know going to collapse at any moment. Because, you know, fear is a great control sure. element, as any doesn't help, as, as Orwell any would point out. will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was that the, the rest are rising, mm-hmm. is that their their economies are becoming much more stable. And, and one of them is, you know, Hugo Chavez has definitely been in decline because, 
his anti-American rhetoric isn't really selling as much as it was because the other ones, you know, other countries are saying, hey, you know, what if we have a more, you know, fluid market, open markets? And so people, you know, other countries are doing better, but we just don't know how to handle it because we're not at the helm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's funny Mm -hmm. because one of the elements that keeps reappearing and reappearing and reappearing in the Republican convention is America's military has to be preeminent and, you know, we'll have the best military and we'll have the best country and it's morning in America. And have you guys heard about the the, the holographic Ronald Reagan that they're going to? Oh, no. They're going oh, no. to unveil a holographic yeah. Reagan? Yeah. Wow. At the convention? Yeah. Oh, man, that's creepy. That's very creepy. That's yeah, no really shame. creepy. Right along with that's the holographic worth, Tupac. That's worth DVRing. <laughs> creepy. Wow. And actually, we should mention, we're skipping Mitt Romney's speech to record this episode. Which is okay. It's fine. Yeah. The man is he not He pre-recorded it before he yeah. went to go. I'm sure he did. And, and you know, I think we mm-hmm. have to say something about Paul Ryan again from Wisconsin. Wisconsin again. Strikes he, at the heart of American The politics. speech he gave has been declared the most uh bland inaccurate speech ever oh yeah it's like every point he made was completely false i just want to apologize to the rest of america once again for paul ryan and and other people that leak out of scotty nation i make no apology for those assholes well i mean i knew he was on the short list but when i actually heard it i just thought oh yeah he's a total (laughs) douche that i i guess uh, in janesville one of the big industries that was there was the parker pen company yeah, right. and but apparently they left and shut down and and, and you know what paul ryan did uh mm-hmm. as a, because of that he bought the the parker mansion <laughs> that's his house well, now. Yeah. he lives on the same <laughs> wow. where i grew up only in the giant mansion just, yeah yeah <laughs> that's like scrooge moving into marley's home after he died <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> But see, I'm helping the economy. The other thing that it's starting to be you're right, Tor. I mean, this whole this whole Paul campaign Ryan, has been about lying and lying and falsehood. And Paul and, Ryan has never worked a real job. You know, it's no. it's all been he, it's all politics. All politics where he's been groomed. Their money for is these all genetic. And, it's been handed yeah. to them. But that's what's funny know. about it. Yeah. Is it's always like that whole one night where it was all we built this. The whole focus of the convention was we built this and without government's help except for that $80,000 loan that the government gave me without yeah. that grant that I applied to that the government Shh. gave me without this that the government gave me. Well, it's Paul Ryan was on Social breaks. Security because one of his parents died. Well, that's exactly. how he went through college. Exactly. Yeah. He got to college it, using Social Security. It was government security. help that helped him get yeah. where he's trying to tear the government down today. The Republican convention is in a, a union-built uh, government-subsidied <laughs> venue. <laughs> so, I mean, we built it. Yes, we did. We all built it together. The irony right. piles up <laughs> yeah. to the sky. Yeah. It does bother me because they're they're all this. It's kind of. I saw that on the. Was it the? No, it was on Stephen Colbert where they had the person writing the book about Ayn Rand, right? And this Ayn right. Randian influence that goes right through them about this. We did it. It's just you know us. Right. It's you know forget altruism. Look out for yourself. Yeah. And yeah, you kind of see that. Except she was an atheist, and that part doesn't really lie with them. Right, well. Ayn Rand yeah. is, is sort of un, sits uneasily <laughs> on the shoulders of some of the more conservative Republicans. Did you hear that Paul Ryan makes that? Uh, what is it? All his interns have to read. Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, yeah. He's a totally into Ayn Rand. Atlas Shrugged is is a good book to read when you're about fourteen, fifteen, and then you know you grow up. But he was asked about it. He was asked about it and he's like, "Well, no, I don't I don't I I don't believe in her her philosophy because I'm not atheist, you know." Right. 
So they they cherry pick. Yeah, he, he probably doesn't. Yeah, it's just like they read the yeah. Bible. <laughs> you know, right. like, cherry pick the Bible. Here, I'm not going to stone the child that disobeys, but you know, it, like I was... <laughs> <laughs> man shall not lie with man. It is Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Adam and Steve. <laughs> what if it was Adam and Steve? <laughs> And they just couldn't have children, so it became Adam and Eve eventually. Well, no one can still figure out where all these other women... That... They'll believe a woman fell from someone's rib, but they won't, you know... No man-on-man well, there, there was a first. There was a first wife. Eve was actually... No, seriously. Eve was his second wife. It was uh, Lilith. Lilith was Adam's first wife. Yeah. <laughs> this goes way back. Might have like 6,000 years. Yeah. No, seriously. That's... Yeah. That... that they rode dinosaurs, <laughs> and it was Adam and Lilith. And where did Lilith come from? Um, Lilith well, wasn't made from like a bone. She was like a copy, or like she was her own person. And I don't know. She wanted to, I don't know, do reverse cowboy or something, and <laughs> that offended God. <laughs> and um, so then she was cast from paradise, and she gave birth to many demons. Wow. So you know, there's the you know obviously the you know misogyny early on. And then so they just made Did Eve the, from a rib. Is that what then that became Lilith Fair? Yes. Yes. Okay. Satanistic lesbians. You've hit it exactly. <laughs> okay. Just checking. <laughs> it actually makes sense, title-wise. <laughs> oh, wait. I got I to gotta, I gotta say this. So I went to go see the Bonnie Raitt concert, mm -hmm. okay, and which was very good. I love uh, Bonnie Raitt's voice. I love um, one of the staple singers. Uh-huh. And it was fine, you know. It was okay, but uh, I just like Bonnie Raitt's voice. She hasn't done an album in about eight years. Mm -hmm. She her album dropped about last April. Bob Dylan's got one coming out next month. Actually. I've heard, and it's supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, Somewhat I heard bitter. Ooh. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Mm -hmm. Anyways, it was a good concert. But what was funny was is it was in the uh, Overpriced Center, and <laughs> uh, with the you know Papa Papa Dice Dome on the top. You know, you know the okay. Overture Center. It's Overture. got that weird. You know, it, like uh, Popomatic. It's the a Pop thing. Yeah, it's the bucket. The bucket it looks like a bucket. Anyways, so, so you go down in the lobby. Oh my god, this was Madison. Like unadulterated. I saw so many graying ponytails, and <laughs> oh. and Wart was there, and all these other things are there, and everyone uh -huh. was like, "Oh man, I'm still bummed Jerry's dead." You know, and it <laughs> was like, you know. A line of Priuses as far as you could see. <laughs> oh my God! It was it was it was unbelievable. I mean, you just had to walk through it and go, really, really. <laughs> I heard Bill Cosby was coming to Madison too. No to shit. To the Overture Center, and I was wow. thinking that might be something to take the Viking Princess to. Like, but it, it, he might be too slow at that age. You know, he might not be with it enough. I got to be honest with you. Even when I was a kid, I didn't think Bill Cosby was that goddamn funny. Oh, I did. See, I the humor that I liked was I mean, I I grew up literally on George Carlin. I might have my parents didn't have his records, but they had the Cosby records, so I could mm -hmm. listen to the Cosby records. Oh yeah, yeah. I could not I could listen to Cosby records and like Beatles records and then like the weird crazy 70s disco that was <laughs> wow. all the rage like uh what is that multi-dimensional eighth dimension the uh, fifth dimension? What is that one uh oh. Oh, I don't know what you mean. Oh, the Age of Aquarius. Age of Aquarius. Like they oh, had, yeah, the they Fifth had Dimension. Yeah. Those albums. Yeah. And that was just, whoa, too much for me. I can't yeah. handle that. Let's go back to the Beatles or Bill Cosby or something. <laughs> well, no, see, I mean, parents would buy you Bill Cosby because he was safe. Mm -hmm. 
But I had these friends who we all on the slide bought George right, Carlin albums. Right. So then, you know, we would pretend we were like really like Bill Cosby would be all be listening to Class Clown or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. So so that was kind of my style See, of humor early on. My parents just had one of these big, giant um, gramophone uh, end <sighs> table things. Yeah. With big <laughs> the high five. I loved oh, yeah. it. I we heard had they curved it and I almost killed them because I wanted it so the bad. the console. Right. Uh, the yeah, console. Yeah. And so yeah. we didn't get permission when they were gone doing something. We would take their records and put them on. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't about us buying. We never bought records. You know, we bought tapes, if anything. But uh, we would listen to their records and the Beatles and, you know, oh, I, I have them all. I should show you them. It's oh, ho- sure. It's a hilarious collection. and. And some of them even still play. I think I have looked through that. You might have looked through the collection. I thought, wow, that's a... Yeah. Yeah. From bread to Fleetwood Mac to Godspell (laughs) to... Oh, bread, yeah. Day by day. But they have Arlo (laughs) Guthrie and just some... It's just wild stuff. Mac Davis. Mac Davis. Mac Davis. Oh, man. I could get lost in that collection. Who is the guy? Ray Stevens. Oh yeah, Ray is there Ray Stevens, Stevens in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember when racism uh, was kind of funny? Hey, it's a have a rap or Tennessee Ernie Ford, sixteen tons. What do you get? Another day older, Yeah, those were the days. I've got uh, Battle Ballad of the Green Beret on a forty-five from my father. By Staff Sergeant too. Barry yeah, yeah. Adler. I'll show you it. Awesome. I've got it in a little special case. But we digress. <laughs> well, that's kind of what we do. <laughs> that's what we're here for. Should we talk about Foink White White? Foink White White? Yes. <laughs> sure. He's another uh, famous Scani. Yep, Wisconsinite. I think this one's kind of Wisconsin more through and through because he was born here and then he circled down to Chicago and he came back here. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, and they Unlike Houdini, who kind of like, I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, Appleton's not good enough for you, Mr. Houdini, if that is your real name. Let's see you escape from me. Where'd he go? (laughs) (laughs) You son of a bitch. (laughs) So Frank Lloyd Wright was born in uh, Richland Center, Wisconsin. Right. In 1867. Wow. That's a good year. Yeah. Those are like, that's like the olden days. I used to call it as a kid. Two two years after the Civil (laughs) War Yeah. Oh, crazy. Yeah. People are coming back, you know, one leg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All fucked up. Oh. His, his dad was a preacher. It wasn't really worth his salt, from what I can gather. His name was Frank Lincoln Wright, originally. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Well, that was uh, probably kind of post-Civil War, too, don't you think? Yeah. Well, you know, Lincoln. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Everyone was Lincoln, Lincoln. probably back then. There was probably, <laughs> well, there was probably you know, a lot of kids named Lincoln back I, then. I recently heard, and I hadn't heard it before, that Lincoln had a dog named Fido. And that's where the dog me? named Fido like came from. Is it like Latin for something? Well, I don't know. I have no idea why his dog would be named Fido. It's Latin for cocks. I have no idea why any dog would be named Fido. <laughs> I don't. But either. there is a good zombie movie named Fido. Oh wow! <laughs> right? right. Okay. Well, okay. So Frank Lloyd Wright, I think you, we could say about his family is that they they were they were very independent. Very, I, I would probably say except, you would consider somewhat eccentric. Uh, definitely different for the time. The, uh, somewhat bohemian. Yeah, different for the time. Yeah. You know, now parents are always trying to find out activities that are good for their kids, that will help their kids. Almost right. too much so. Mm-hmm. Wright's mother uh, introduced him to uh, the... the Pro- Probal? Probal blocks? Probal yeah. blocks. Probal gifts. Yeah. Which so she these, bought one of these uh, probal gifts. 
which are these little geometric blocks. Yeah, one that, of them was the shape mm-hmm. of a dildo, I heard, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure it was. That's the one Walt Disney got. That's the, where yeah. the tar penis came from. Actually, uh, I I had, uh, when I was a kid, I had blocks very similar. Oh, really? Um, I think they were made by Childcraft. My aunt was uh, in a preschool management. She, like, managed a preschool or whatnot. And oh, okay. So uh, she got me these blocks, and... And, and I did. That's how I played with them. I, you know, stack them up and make little buildings and surround it. Made a big castle wall that surrounded me, and you had a little triangles. And oh, very yes, cool. there was a little cylinder, so you would have enjoyed those blocks too. I mean, if the, <laughs> but you know, when I was a and kid, there was a big cylinder too. Let's, let's make filthy things out of it. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was a little younger than you guys, but when I was a kid, I had Lincoln Logs and I had Legos, and yeah, yeah. I, was I had those too. Complete two. and utter Lego maniac. I was seriously a Zach Lego maniac. Like I probably told you guys a story about how when I was little, after I'd seen Tron the movie, <laughs> I made one of those giant two legged things, oh. and I hung fishing wire and I clamped it with Legos through the floating thing, and I. I wired it through one of my parents' dressers and made it wow. float in the air. And the recognizer. The recognizer. And I yeah. was oh, cool. I was making it float through the air. Cool. I was totally into Legos and Tron. And yeah, I built anything out of Legos I could. I was a huge fan. So I totally understand why this is such a pervasive myth and, and real, you know, about Frank Lloyd Wright, that everyone likes to mention these Froebel gifts. Yeah. Right. Well, well that's how we first started learning about shapes. Right. How, how shapes much and in, shape manipulation. Yeah. But- Speaking about Legos, they do have Lego sets mm-hmm. of Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. Oh, that's awesome. You can get the Guggenheim. You can get Falling Water and one other oh, I would building. love to get the Guggenheim. Yeah. The Guggenheim is actually my favorite Frank It probably Lloyd costs Wright. you yeah. more than actually buying the Guggenheim. Oh, my. <laughs> the Guggenheim Lego set. I thought about getting these sets for my kids, but they're... They're like un- 40 bucks. They're ungodly expensive. No, yeah. no, no. They're like it's got to be more than 100 They're like 125 bucks. Yeah. No shit. Yeah, these yeah. Lego sets are ridiculous. And they're like three pieces. You know, it's like... Yeah. One, and snap. Use well, the Guggenheim <laughs> piece to snap the Guggenheim together. Actually, for these sets, they don't do that. You have to like stack some discs and... It, you know they don't have the Guggenheim piece, but, you know but I hate I mean? that. Like when you buy those Star Wars or Batman exactly. sets for your kids, yeah. there's like these weirdly shaped things that will only work on this set of Legos. I hate that. I yeah. like yeah. the old Legos when it was yes, you had to sacrifice a color here and there because you just didn't have enough red. And okay, fine, I'll use some white in this part. Sure, but I'm going to pattern it out to spread it out yeah. <laughs> appropriately. Yeah, yeah it was oh, crazy definitely. building with old Legos. I think I, I read a couple years ago that. Lego, in in order to um, save money, they're actually trying to eliminate some of these real unique pieces because mm-hmm. then they don't have to set up the injection mold machine machine for those. Sure. And they are trying to get back to a little bit more of a generic brick. Hey, look. But still, they have went so far right. off for the crazy. Oh, sure they did, brick and style, it was more so. for adults. It was after that. It was after that moon yeah. phase. Like I loved when Lego went to the, oh, the yeah. lunar sets. I have a lot of that stuff. Yeah, me too. And then after that, it went even further into to more specialized parts. But yeah, you know, if if three D maker you know sets can like really get together and we can. You know, spread more of those widely. That'd be really cool because then you could just print what you need. Oh, can you imagine me able to just print what co- print you your own Lego blocks. That would yeah. be pretty awesome. <laughs> uh-huh. See, if you guys seen it, it's out of it's out of copyright, so you can. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. it's, it oh. hasn't been. Not enough people have these maker printers to you know who has a three D printer just sitting around. You have to go right. to a maker shed. Counterfeiters and, use it there. and there are maker sheds <laughs> yeah, here in Madison, yeah. so it's kind of cool. 
There, uh, there's a new reality show on called Toy Hunter, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty interesting because this guy goes and looks at all these toy collections, refines stuff. It's kind of like American Pickers, but it's mm-hmm. all about toys. It's really pretty cool because you you just see all kinds of stuff that you just totally forgot even existed. So that's kind of fun. Well, uh, not spoiler alert here. I'm just going to jump ahead right now because I want to. It was Frank Lloyd Wright's brother. I think it was John who invented Lincoln Logs. So really? Link, yeah, Lincoln Logs were invented by... No, uh, that was his younger brother, Kenny Wright. <laughs> <laughs> no, they really were. He was considered somewhat slow. <laughs> it was Kenny! Lincoln Logs really were. And Lincoln Logs always kind of bothered me as a kid because they were less versatile than the Legos. Because you couldn't do as much with them. But, you know, I got a long one. I got a short one. I got a really short one. Better yeah. build them up so you can put a roof on them, you know, and... That's okay. all you could do. Basically. I thought I thought Lincoln Logs blew. Actually, I, I, I liked them, but they weren't as fun as Legos. Yeah, yeah. I had what, a, I had an Erector set. It's like you almost had to have like fifty sets of Lincoln Logs <laughs> in order to do anything fun or productive or. Interesting oh yeah, you, you never had enough right. to really go crazy with right. them. But I think yeah. that's funny that but, Frank Lloyd Wright's brother invented them. Yeah, <laughs> Donnie <pretty> cool. Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that Frank Lloyd Wright made trailer homes. Did you? <laughs> I did not know that. I don't think it's true. But. He made Usonian homes. <laughs> he, he, yeah, it's a Frank Lloyd Wright air streamer. <laughs> yeah. It's very low and has very high windows. <laughs> well, man. Okay, so let's so, let's let's get so to. So anyway, whole... he played with cool blocks, and then but in 1885, his parents divorce. Yeah, well, his his he mom and dad were not getting along. Well, I guess his dad was his his dad was originally a Baptist minister. Mm-hmm. But then he became Unitarian, which I don't know how you guys feel about the Unitarians. But you know, my my feeling is, I mean, I'm not religious. I know some but Unitarians, and it's like whatever's good. I like <laughs> That's yeah, how I feel it's about it's, them. it's too loosey goosey for me. It's very loosey. I like my religions with lots of frippery and hell and brimstone dogma. Yeah, I love dogma. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I would if there was human sacrifice, I would Protect be all over that. Protect the starving children while I hold <laughs> this golden staff. <laughs> That's that is how I like my religion. Straight up, Pope, infallible, immortal. <laughs> you make has a bulletproof car. <laughs> it's the Popematic. Why would you have a bulletproof car? <laughs> well. If, if remember, someone shoots you in the head, you just go to God quicker. You know what? You got to you got to give it to JP two though. He took five nine millimeter rounds and he just shook it off. Yeah, well he hobbled <laughs> it off for many many years. Oh yeah, it took a while. Uh, he can just walk it off, I right? Mean, yeah. yeah, walk it off, JP. <laughs> JP two, <laughs> JP one was not. Yeah, he did kind of a William Harrison. <laughs> I'm only in here for about. Who a month. was the one who refused to apologize for, to the, for the Germans? <laughs> oh, you mean Pope Pius? <laughs> yeah. Pius was a dick. Yeah. I think that was an Eddie Izzard skit, actually. <laughs> Pius was a total hose. <laughs> total bastard. Yeah. First. <laughs> He's, he was also the one, too, that when they liberated Italy, he wrote Eisenhower and didn't want them to have Negro troops come into Rome. Oh, and it's like, right. oh, you're a hell of a guy. I don't, you know, thanks. You can rescue us, but not with those Negro troops. Yeah, yeah. not the Negroes. Well, so anyway... <laughs> 
the, the rights become Unitarians, and the uh, which you know it's a little bit like your aging hippies with the gray ponytails that yeah. you're talking about earlier. It's kind but, of it's touchy feely, isn't? There, isn't there some hugging? Like you have to acknowledge people beside you. See that? No, I, a I'm lot of religions that. do that. I'm not even sure if Unitarians I don't, do I that. I don't care for that. You know, before the yeah. podcast, we always turn to the left and hug the person next to you, and then <laughs> turn to the right. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Wait, we call it a circle jerk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was a mama's boy through and oh, through. Yeah. I mean, this was, yeah. he, you know, he was a younger guy and he changed his name to Frank Lloyd Wright to recognize yeah. his mom and this is dad, who I don't think he really had anything to do with from that point on. Well, his, yeah. da- his dad, I think, essentially just disappeared after after yeah. they separated when he was 14. And then he became financially responsible for the family. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the it was funny in the divorce. Actually, we should we should uh, skip back a little bit that Frank Lloyd Wright's mom used to put. Uh, pictures of cathedral windows and cathedral, you know, cathedrals mm-hmm. in his nursery to try to, you know, kind of inspire him and everything. One day so, you'll uh, be a great architect. I mean, what? yeah, yeah. <laughs> why, why would you yeah. even think of that shit? In I bought him blocks. She's going to be a great architect someday. <laughs> okay, yes, I guess it right. works sometimes. Sometimes yeah. you can steer your kids the way you want them. I wanted, I wanted to get the exact wording of this because I thought it was kind of funny because it's, it's very nineteenth century. Um. That you know, Anna, his his mother had been unhappy for some time because you know the guy was a bum and never brought on the bacon. Right. Uh, the it, the divorce was finalized in eighteen eighty five, but then uh, William countersued Anna for lack of physical affection. <laughs> She's not putting up. Okay, uh, I'm holding out for a management job. I've been out of work for about eight years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, what a guy! <laughs> he's got minister written all over him. Yeah, he's the he's the naughty vicar. But Frank, he did a little stint at the UW Madison here in town. He did. He came to Madison. Mm-hmm. Frank, yeah. play the old timey music. Got some old footage going. Uh, yeah, yeah. Upon, he, he trod upon these streets. He didn't last very long. No, apparently he wasn't. Yeah. He, he was a he was a frat guy. I didn't go to the frat that he went to, but he was, uh, yeah, he, he wasn't for a frat. while he was in the I Felt a Thigh uh, fraternity <laughs> in Madison. <laughs> oh, there, it's not that. I mean, there's it's three Greek letters. Who cares? Phi Delta fraternities and sororities <laughs> are for danks. So I'm I'm putting that out there. That's another <clears throat> tank riot uh, political plank. <laughs> fraternities and sororities are for danks. <laughs> It's so rich kids don't have to, you know, be around poor people. Well, I never. <laughs> I shall not listen to this tanking writing in the future. I, sir, have been a Greek for many years. I said good day, sir. Greeks do not like freaks, sir. <laughs> you, sir, are a freak. <laughs> so then he moved to Chicago because he just well, wasn't feeling it. I think what I think what we should say though is that he yeah. there's not a, a lot of you know record of Frank Lloyd Wright's academic career. No, I mean, in fact, we don't even know if he graduated from high school, which was not unusual at that period of time. Oh yeah, his uh, college experience was more or less. Yeah, I did a couple semesters here, a couple semesters there. But it seemed like he got early. He got involved in architecture very early on as a draftsman, and was able to work in these firms yep. and learn the trade. Right. Which again, I think, was probably fairly common in those days. You know, pre-technical schools and so forth. You just found somebody who would, yeah, you know, he a worked sensei. as an apprentice. I mean. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you you learned the business. 
which he did. And then, yep. yeah, he moved to Chicago. Chicago, which I'm not happy about. But, <laughs> <laughs> but and yeah, I mean, well, everyone talks about all the build. There's lots of building in Chicago. But, you, you know, that's very typical for Wisconsin, though. We do lose a lot of talent. To Chicago. Yeah, it's, it's a big a city. Giant yeah. There's a lot more it, going on there. We lose lots so, of musicians, lots of yeah. great stuff to Chicago. That's right. I mean, yeah. I, you can't really dish Chicago. No, it's windy. Maybe the Gold Coast, but not <laughs> Chicago. They got the Oprah there. Oh, jeez. They oh, got the Cubs. Jeez. You know. They watch the Cubs and Oprah. <laughs> Oprah. She's on the Oprah Network now with the old... I don't even know what she's doing down there. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. Interviewing Brianna. <laughs> So he's he's in the architecture biz in uh, Chicago. Yes, he's working for the the firm S- Sullivan. Uh, yeah, Alder and Sullivan. And uh, Sullivan and Lipschitz. <laughs> Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. Dewey, Cheatham, yeah. Adler and Sullivan. What is this car talk? Duty yeah. for humanity. <laughs> it's like a morning show in here. Yeah. God. <laughs> He worked but, for Sullivan, uh, Sullivan Patio Furniture. I mean, because, you know, yeah. if you're in Chicago, the Irish, they own everything. But he worked for them uh, for a while, but then he started taking jobs on the side to make <laughs> yeah. extra he, cash. He was really not making a lot of money, and yeah, he was barely he was, getting by. He right. was always... This is a well, guy who was plus, pretty much always on the fringe with his right. with his own personal tastes, the way he liked to spend money. He liked nice clothes. He and, was he yeah. was a, kind of a dandy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you saw the guy today, he'd say, "Hey, who's the pimp?" You know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he definitely. But he, had was, a look. he was about style in his houses and his clothing. Right. I mean, he was he working was, the yeah. aesthetic. Yeah, but this was before he was even that guy. Before he was yeah. that guy. Yeah. He uh he well but, he met a woman down there and but he was you know even, even when he time. was younger he probably was that guy just not as developed <laughs> not right yeah you know what I mean that's he, right he probably was very opinionated on on the looks and and all that kind of thing I think I think it's fair to say that pretty early on he he definitely had a. a, a you know, champagne tastes on a beer budget, as they say. Mm-hmm. You know, he de- he definitely liked to dress well. Um, his hair, yeah. if you see pictures of him, his hair has a certain kind of, um, um, I don't know how you would describe it, but it's it's kind of... Um, that combs it all back. and Yeah, it's kind of a weird, like a male B-52 in a certain way. And... Yeah. I'll explain He looks him. pretty cool. Yeah. In a minute. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> all right. I have a description. I'll okay. get... I'll, I'll, okay. I, I, I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> all right. But he, he met uh, Kitty or Catherine... Um, I think Tobin was her name, but yeah. he met her at church and ended up mar- wanting to getting married to her, and then begging some money from Sullivan to buy a little lot and build a little cheap house on it. So he lo- he, and he loaned him five grand, yeah, which was you know a lot of money back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so he built this house, and you know it wasn't like his f- famous style or whatever, but you know he built this right home, and but well, you, you could see. Um, early indications right aspects right yeah it's hard yeah. to explain his style because a lot of people in this early phase of his career declare it as like the prairie style or whatever mm-hmm. and this is not yeah. quite into that he never embraced that or accepted that term but right people just threw it on there because of the way he would describe it like melding in with the world around he described it as or- organic architecture organic architecture. yeah because and he's, he's definitely oh, considered one of the prairie Prairie architects though. the prairie school the prairie, the prairie school, school yeah. of architecture yeah well, I, I love how the hearth in this one this this boggles me a little bit because above the hearth he had printed uh, "Truth is life." 
I don't know what that means, really. I really don't either. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even sure what I'd that rather means. have a bottle in front of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> in front of the bottom. <laughs> so, well, I think, I think we should probably talk about, you know, architecture at this period of time in the late 19th century <clears throat> was very much, and I think probably well into the beginning of the, tw- uh, of the 20th century, was, was uh, what they would call the classical style. Mm-hmm. So it was very heavily Greek and Roman influenced. A lot of columns, very you know square, right. not 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 really very interesting in in a lot of ways. I mean, it, like banks and auditoriums and that type mm-hmm. of thing. Just very, it, it was there to indicate power and wealth and dominance, and yeah, it had a very a linear look to it. The building would sort of sit on top of the land and just kind of. Dominate. S- stick out. Mm-hmm. Also, too, I think you had the Victorian and the Queen oh, Anne influences and Victorian yeah. and Romanesque homes. Yeah, which Victorian homes are just, you know, they're kind of, ah! Yeah. You know, they're sort of the, the spastic house where, like, right. just, okay, we're going to have a turret here and a pointy roof here. And, and just ornamentation and gingerbreading. And, and gingerbreading <laughs> everywhere and a big porch and it's just with lots of spindles and it'll I, just be little curly cues everywhere. <laughs> just, I always think of the Munster or the Adams house, you know, it just it was one of these big... Gothic yeah. homes, mm-hmm. yeah, which is uh, always interesting. The term "gothic," I, you know, it's 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 one of those terms I don't think most people know the the meaning of it, but it was used in the uh, Eastern Greek Empire mm-hmm. as a slur. So, if architecture looked Roman, if it looked you know had this Greek influence, it was it was good architecture. But if it looked like something that those filthy Goths would have made, it's like, oh, that's rather gothic. <laughs> You know, so so it was a slam for a long time, but then actually people got to prefer it, and then they would say, "Oh, what a gothic cathedral! Oh, I love the gothic look of that." <laughs> wow! But so, anything that has like a bunch of gremlins and little winged creatures on it is I not, not like that bad. Yeah, Gotham City. I would love to have a home that had turrets in it. I would be lurking in there all the time. You know. Yeah, I lived. One of my yeah. buddies had an apartment with one of those big turrets and a castle. You know, just an apartment. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. We played Risk up there. (laughs) (laughs) Looking down upon all of you, I will buy Western Australia and walk my way up to owning it all. We got really stoned and played Stratego. Never shall I hold Yakutsk. (laughs) But that's, that's something you see a lot in the 19th century and early 20th century is, you know, whether you're talking Victorian or Prairie or Queen uh, Anne or or anything else, you do see a lot more ornamentation, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, a lot more creativity. Uh, You know, we're quite frankly, right now, a lot of homes are essentially made on assembly line. It's one plastic house after another plastic house. What we always call the McMansions. McMansions. Just these big drywall boxes for two people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're horribly built. I mean, it's really shameful. I, I, my, my father-in-law lived in one for a little bit, and it was just everything was badly put together. The drywall yeah. was barely fitted, and the carpet sure. yeah. didn't. You know, everything was just and completely slipped. You know, through the ages, there's there's always been really sucky carpenters mm-hmm. and really oh, good sure. carpenters. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we still have good. You know, there are good houses, but a lot of these assembly line houses, they were. You know, they're up. They're built to be the cheapest as possible mm-hmm. to get the right. square footage. Oh, sure. So it's it's funny. My my parents uh, lived in a house that was was well over a hundred years old, and it's oh my god. When uh, my dad and I had this project where we finished off the attic, 
And there wasn't a single stud that was the same distance apart from the other stud. And they had all these old iron square nails in it. And it it was just amazing. It was like, oh, well, what the hell? Let's throw it on up. It looks like it'll hold. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a load-bearing wall? Who gives a shit? (laughs) But Frank wouldn't put up with that kind of – like Frank liked minimalism and he liked it to be – lined and he liked it to be you know flowing and be a certain way and it wasn't Mm -hmm. really what i would i wouldn't traditionally like one of his houses because i need places to put stuff and he right he liked you not to have anything at all and by the way you can't put anything else on this table and by the way don't move the table out of where i put it because it's supposed to be here and when people did that he would come back into the house and rearrange it to the way he (laughs) meant the house to be like this was a controlling designer who felt like you live in the house it's not just the house it's the furniture and the books and but he would he would send people things too he would send them like vases and things like this here's a beautiful vase that would look great on the mantle and the people Uh would look and be like yeah it does it looks wonderful and then he'd send them a bill Right. Oh, this wasn't a gift. No, it's part of the house. (laughs) It has to go on the mantle, and you can't Uh take it off the mantle. The guy was a little bit of a Svengali that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. But he was uh, was an artist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you look at his houses, and it's almost more of a musical composition, Mm -hmm. you you know, than, you know, a piece of architecture, because it's the way you walk through it. He designs it so you see things in a certain order. Mm-hmm. So uh, many of his houses would have a small, really nothing to it kind of doorway, and then that's the front door. In fact, it's a lot of times hard to find. He figured if someone didn't know where the front door was, they're probably not welcome anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you go on this little door around the back, and you know you walk around this hall, tight hallway, and but then it opens up into living room and then it's like whoop, wow mm-hmm. you know so it's pretty you know that that's a very frank lloyd wright thing there well and he it, had a lot of very eastern influences too that he he pulled in uh you know certainly from japan where you would have yeah. these larger homes and i i mean, I, think, I think the whole concept of the cathedral ceiling room and everything you could probably trace directly back well, yeah like, walking into a room and having it open up and making it feel the open bigger concept yeah. yeah yeah i I don't think he would own up to it but there is definitely a japanese influence uh after he had been to japan right and and, and saw well just the windows that he and, liked i mean like with the, the classic prairie home you know it's like the the, the leaded windows and it had kind of almost a cathedral feeling mm-hmm. but then after his visitations to japan he he just had these you know very uh tall narrow windows that would go almost to the roof line and then almost down to the floor so you felt connected with nature and everything and right, yeah. like i say you can see very a lot of homes with that concept now with the the cathedral ceilings and the large windows mm-hmm. that that you know you're you're just looking out over and you know it's funny mm-hmm. i've never and so I've I've actually been in a, a, a few of Frank Lloyd Wright's homes. I've been to uh, some of the places that his students or his followers really, like Marshall Erdman and so forth. In fact, the Marshall uh-huh. Erdman uh, company is just down the street mm-hmm. from from where I live, 
and Marshall Erdman was one of his students, and there was a home built by mm -hmm. Marshall Erdman that's right on my block, and mm -hmm. it definitely has the prairie home look and the the wood shingling and yeah. everything else, and it's 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 quite interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I, I love to look at Frank Lloyd Wright's homes, and I love to tour them, like the House on the Rock, for instance, which is a you know huge, which was built by uh, again by a student of his. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly. Was I'm it not a student sure. Was or was it a guy who uh, it was, really loved him? It, it was a guy. It was a guy who really loved him. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it wasn't really a student. You're right. His you're name right. was Alex Jordan. House on the Rock uh, is really crazy. If you it, come to it's, Madison, it's really or cool. You, you got to Wisconsin. You got to go there. You're going to see signs everywhere saying yeah. "Visit the House on the Rock." But, yeah. but but I know that he tried to be a student of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright and showed him some stuff. Right. And Frank <laughs> hated it so much that he said, "I wouldn't ask him to build a chicken coop." Wow, <laughs> and that's pretty harsh. That is wow. harsh. And, but but it's like this thing that's, so, that's bound with Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, now. It's, it's, even yeah. though this guy just was an admirer and not really a. You're right. right. He wasn't really even a student or anything. He was just a great admirer. Yeah. But I, I'm my guess is that we there are probably more people that walk through the House on the yes. Rock now than even like Falling Water. Yeah, so oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, course, and, and you know, with good reason right. and it's, hopefully with some drugs buy the ticket take it's a the ride. spectacle yes <laughs> just saying yeah have you guys Go ever to house in the Rock. Uh, toured taliesin or yes i have yeah so i i have as well and it's it's a beautiful home it's in spring green mm -hmm. where frank lloyd wright spent uh much of, yeah. of his yeah. life actually it was his summer home well let's yeah. get back to his life in chicago a little bit yeah yes yeah. i'm sorry I mean, we're probably architect in chicago for a bunch of years and he did like tor was going to say some moonlighting on the side mm -hmm. while yes. he was working at adler and sullivan and he ended up getting fired for it, basically. Right. Yeah. He got kicked off the dole and then had to go off and do his own. Sort of against the rules. Yeah. And but but it was amazing the level of his output. I mean, he he built a lot of homes, and that's how he got fired. Oh, yeah. He he built a home so close to Sullivan that he figured it out. <laughs> Right. He's like, no one else was going to so build this house. Like, right? That looks like a Frank house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Frank, you got some splaining to do. Uh -huh. that's, that's pretty funny. That's you, you think fired. you're going to build some goddamn house. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he, he uh, there, there's a number. I mean, you, you can look at a registry of homes that he's either influenced yeah. or students of his build or that he had, you know, drafted, you know, both pre and post prairie school. But let's say a couple he he always wanted to do some big big jobs. And one of the yeah. big jobs that he did was in like 1902 in Buffalo, he was contracted to do the Larkin building. Mm -hmm. And the Larkin was this big, you know, one of his first big jobs building something for an office. And he right. would design it for the office and make it open and make it the structures work. He is the reason why in America today we have uh, bathrooms with the hinged gate doors in them mm -hmm. so they're easier to sweep under and clean. Oh, yeah? So, yeah. I mean, a lot of the basic things that they do in office buildings to this day are done because of the Larkin building, right. and because which is no longer wow. there. It's gone. But all these little innovations... That's a shame. He considers it his masterpiece. He was like... He said he was like Michelangelo over every little part of that building. He didn't let anything happen without purpose. So, but I think what you said earlier planned. is very, very true. He was really a control freak. Right. I mean, he he left Feng Shui in the dust. Yeah, several well, steps. Feng back. Shui is absolute stupidity, but it Frank Lloyd Wright is genius. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yeah. you, you're right, but I mean, Feng Shui. There's that similar concept right, of a, that a, a home has a sweep design. and a flow. And but you're right, it is it is like the horoscope of 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 home design. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got some neat concepts, but it Did also has some that real goofy ideas. Episode of Penn and Teller where they, hi, they oh yeah they had fake Feng Shui guys come in and right. say they were doing Feng Shui, 
And then they had, would have other feng shui people come in and right. try to say what the feng shui of the room was. And they would all say different things. Right. You know, everyone was just randomly saying whatever they well, wanted to Well, it's like tarot say. card yeah. readers. It's like, well, what do you, what do you want to hear? Exactly. You know? Yeah, it's cold reading it's in a, a way. Yeah, it's a cold reading. It's yeah. a carny trick. It's a, yeah, yeah, old carny trick. I'm mm-hmm. sorry if my brother believes it. No, I don't think he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just pick on him a little because I've seen him recently. <laughs> I know, and I loved it how you phrased it before. It's like, we just agree to disagree. Agree oh, to yeah, disagree. I'm sure it was that diplomatic. Yeah, yeah no. I'm sure it was that, you know. <laughs> no, no, it's actually getting so much more diplomatic. I got to tell you, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, but my dad has Alzheimer's, and my brother and I are getting together to fix things and to keep things together. Well, that's really and, good. And we're building on things, and my dad is kind of like the teenage boy who's yelling at us for, oh. there's nothing wrong with that. Why are you fixing that? It's perfect. And oh, gotcha. we've had some good times together very recently just laughing about having to do that. And, and anyway. Oh, that's really good. He's a good guy. No, that's a good story. But that's yeah, a good story. Yeah, we're, we're, getting, we're getting by, and I'm, I was really glad to see him. Okay, very but, good. Anyway, Frank was not happy with his home life either. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> and and he ended up um abandoning his whole family. You know, how many kids did he have with Kitty? He had uh, two uh, at least, like if not... several. Yeah. And yeah. that he was more like a kid himself in the group and mm-hmm. someone has said this if you look back at the old pictures of him, you'll see um Kitty with the kids, and then he'll be kind of off to the side. Right. <laughs> the body language is pretty yeah, evident. It's yeah, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, that yeah I got Frank some shit to do. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he was anywhere near a dad. He was more like just another kid, but a so, kid who had stuff to do to bring in money for the family. But his kids always seemed yeah. like almost worshipped him. Yeah, in a way. And even afterwards, and Kitty, for the longest time, you know, after their marriage was falling apart, and he, he was building and building and getting more well-known and getting more famous. This was the early period this was with the prairie style, and I think it was because this prairie style, he was getting bored of it, worn out of it, and he wasn't getting enough of these really big contracts that he wanted. Right. And then he ended up falling in with a neighbor woman and deciding that she was pretty hot stuff and maybe they should hang out together more right. and, and trying to get a divorce. And Kitty just refused and was not going to have it. And then that's when he later on eventually ran off to Europe and mm-hmm. just abandoned the entire family. To go live with, um, what was her name? I don't know how to pronounce. Is it Mama Cheney? M A M A H. Yeah, I. But she was married let's too. Let's go with Mama. She was married too, too, and and they all left Mama? their families. Mm-hmm. Mama, maybe, and moved off to Europe to live in Italy and write his memoir about, you know, his famous buildings and try to try to just kind of get some more exposure, get some more work out in Europe, and try to build a reputation a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, kind of like a second phase thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was definitely one of those things. I think he married yeah. kind of early too. And um, oh man, and he left him with debt. He left him with yeah. grocery bills. And yeah, he like I say, he he as soon as he got money, he spent that yeah, money. Yeah, seat of so. his pants. I, one of his kids, I heard talking about. You know, one day his family was so deep in debt, and they just got paid, and they were excited about this money, and he turned around and spent it on a piano. <laughs> and just wow. Once they had money, then they didn't. <laughs> just, right. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. The guy had no sense of you know. <laughs> Family life. I'm sure he was probably fairly entertaining, but I think once he started getting yeah. notoriety too, I think the controlling phase of his personality like really came out. Because you know, even even when he was with uh, Sullivan in Chicago, mm-hmm. 
Um, he would get like into violent altercations with the other draftsmen and everything, especially this one one draftsman. And it's just kind of funny when you think about it because you always kind of think of these these big <clears throat> brick buildings with these well lighted rooms, and they're just sitting there at the drafting board, right? You know, drawing this stuff up, and then all of a sudden, like they get into a fist fight over something. I mean, you're just like over what? You know? Yeah. But- well, he was very passionate about that stuff, and and you kind of got to think that maybe his first love was architecture. And, you know, it's kind of like last episode, we did it about Howard Hughes. Right. And it's kind of the same thing going on here. He was, I think so. he was always true to architecture, and that was the one passion of his life. Yeah. I think that, you know, the his wives and lovers and family were, were pretty secondary. Um, I would say probably farther down mm-hmm. than that. So mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he was a guy who kind of... <laughs> You think about some of these people that we talk about and you think about people like Howard Hughes, who's kind of a almost unemotional person who is right. like a almost Asperger's kind of an unemotional guy in a way. I think he was more of the emotional lover kind of guy mm-hmm. who just had this idea about aesthetics that, that were really that was really important to him. And I got to bust it out now just because I want people to envision this while we're talking about this the rest of the podcast. Sir Ian McKellen played Magneto in the X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. And I picture Frank Lloyd Wright being oh. like a Magneto kind of character because he's a guy who is, you know, you might be super impressed with his abilities and his, mm-hmm. wow, that power is just totally fantastic. And mm-hmm. Magneto would be the kind of guy to say, yes, they are. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> just, yeah. just as impressed with his own abilities right. as you could possibly yeah. be. Yeah. And, and I always... <laughs> I love me. I love me. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as much as you love me, you know, just just really impressed with himself. And right. Frank was, and he promoted himself. And there was this point where later on in his career, which we'll get to, people were calling him the greatest architect in America, mm-hmm. and it offended him in some ways because he was like, "Why just America?" Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to play the big room. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. not playing just America here. So this is that's that Magneto kind of sure. egotism that I just yeah. I pictured it and I loved it and I kind of laughed about it every time I was thinking about him, you know. He has a when you see pictures of him he kind of reminds me of pictures I've seen of Oscar Wilde. That same kind of flowing hair and you know the kind of you know the the I don't know what you call them. They're not bow ties, but they're kind of... Ascot? <laughs> no, oh, no. Yeah, those <laughs> ascot. yeah, yeah like, like Colonel Sanders right, wore, except right. bigger, you uh-huh. know, and I, I don't know what you call those. A bolo? I don't know. The, no, it's not a bolo. A bolo? <laughs> a bolo a cylon? Is, is what guys might start wearing saying. after a while. It's <laughs> like, you know, right. it's like a big turquoise. I got thing. some turquoise in there. Look at here. New Mexico. <laughs> I got that from an Apache. An Apache New Mexico got me that. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that, you know, right, you know, while he was transitioning into the more, you know, the the, the prairie style, which, again, he didn't really like that description. They they were were much more like these horizontal lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he would build things in and build them like along with the flow of the hill rather than on top of the hill with giant spires. Right. He would try to make it blend in and he would use colors that would fit different seasons growth. So the different trees and. Blend it with the environment yeah. rather than overtake. Did you guys ever see the Johnson Wax Factory in Milwaukee that he... I didn't actually go to it. I've seen pictures of it. Just pictures, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, the Johnson yeah. Wax Factory was built in like two parts, but the first part is really cool. Why don't you explain that? Well, I mean, well, uh, just um, uh, Mrs. Sputnik is from Milwaukee, so we were down there one time and she said, oh, have you ever seen 
you know, Johnson Wax building. And it was, it's really beautiful. It's, you can't believe really it's a factory because it just has, it's kind of like the Guggenheim. It's like this, this, I mean, you can't really say it's futuristic. You know, mm. it's not like George Jetson-y or anything. <laughs> it's just, it has this really unusual look to it that. This is the one with the real mushroom-shaped pillars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, really beautiful. Yeah, they're like yeah. Lily, lily pads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a bit in the future because yeah. there's some explanation Jumping about a bit those. there. But uh, about Taliesin, the, the key to the design of Taliesin is instead of building it on top of the hill, he built it around the hill. Mm-hmm. So it kind of you know grabs the top of the hill and is sort of you know built into the hill. Mm. What's neat about it is that that is one of the homes I've toured is it's interesting to look at from any direction. Right. And any place you are in it is kind of a nice place to be. Oh yeah, I mean we yeah. should we should probably explain to our listeners too. Spring Green, Wisconsin is just a beautiful little town. Well, let's back yeah. up and explain to our listeners what the hell we're talking about with Taliesin because Yeah. Yeah. He 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 left his wife and his kids for this woman and went into Italy and to Europe and to try to find business and then wrote right. this two-volume thing. It's a well-known book about his work, blah blah blah. Crib sheet, crib notes, go to Wikipedia, whatever. And then they came back and it was a scandal and he didn't have anywhere to go and he didn't know right. he couldn't be with Kitty. Kitty wouldn't give him a divorce. So he begged his mom to give him some money to buy this adjacent property to their childhood home or whatever. So mm-hmm. she said, okay. They bought this property up in Spring Green, Wisconsin and up on this hill. And then he started building Taliesin, which means something brow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't. Remember. I was never super clear on what Taliesin actually <laughs> yeah, meant, but it's just a cool word. I thought. Yeah, Taliesin. Yeah, it means um, but, it means but, something. But yeah. Spring Green is it's, it's a very beautiful area. It's it's very uh, really rolling green hills. Oh, it it is, and yeah. the river runs through it, and it's just gorgeous. So, if you're if you're going to build a home, especially a Frank Lloyd Wright home, that that would be the perfect place to do it, and mm-hmm. it it does uh, pull in quite a few tourists every year to mm-hmm. to go view the home and it, it is it is it is really unusual if you if you ever find yourself in scani nation uh it's just a fun town to go to it's interesting too yeah. uh stalin's daughter <laughs> lived there for a number of years as well she just passed away i think That's this right. year she wasn't she wasn't very impressed not in <laughs> no. taliesent but in spring green not in taliesent no. <laughs> yeah, spring green she lived in, in spring green she moved to richland center though which is where he was born but no yeah. no she lived in taliesent did she yeah, I can explain it later. <laughs> okay. Like, really, it's it's far later because it's like two wives down the line that okay. he had anything to do with her. Um, well, because, yeah, she got involved with a son of a wife of his. <laughs> it's okay. very wow. confusing. Okay. Yeah, there, so, there's a tie with her. To So what, should we hit now the, the tragedy, tragedy in 1914? Sure. Of Taliesin? Yeah. So... Yeah, well, he basically it comes down to the fact that he hired a crazy guy from Barbados, Julian Carlton, who is I don't married to some woman named Kirchu who worked in the kitchen. Who basically it's it's almost an unbelievable tale of murder and mayhem. But Frank Lloyd Wright was working in Chicago back and forth to Spring Green. He had a lot of connections there. He was still building there. Yeah, he's working on the Midway Gardens, and he was working with his son. Uh, from his marriage with Kitty, and and I misspoke earlier. It was one of his sons, John, who designed Lincoln Logs. So Lincoln Logs came from his son, 
John. Anyway, but he was working in Chicago at the time. There was some scandal because there weren't there was no Twitter at the time, so people didn't know where Frank Lloyd Wright was at the time that this happened. And he'd already been embroiled in scandal earlier because of this flying off to Europe. So he was already yeah, seen as kind of his a, wife. Yeah, leaving his wife, untrustworthy guy. And so what happened was it's very conflicted and it's not really well known. I think the best there's a really great book about it, which I'll get to, but to the best that anyone knows, without going into the whole explanation, this guy had some paranoid delusions and was probably crazy and had some problems with other people. And right. in a fit of horror, he managed to, at the time that the workmen were eating in one area, and um, Mama or Mama or whatever, Mama, Mama. Or Mama mm. and her daughter and son were eating dinner in another room, served them dinner, pulled out a hatchet, murdered her with a hit to the head and murdered the son right away and whacked the daughter and then went to the workmen's area with, and poured gas all around it, locked them shut and then lit the workmen's room on fire mm-hmm. and then waited outside with a hatchet for the workmen to come out so he could murder them one by one. The workmen kind of burst out the other side and and that foiled his plan a little bit, went down the hill and hit the water, but they were all kind of on fire and he went around and killed them as they were trying to escape. Mm-hmm. Seven people died, and not all of them died like right away either. One of the youngest, the daughter, lived for quite a while before she actually. So it's brutal and gruesome and horrible. It was the yeah. biggest serial killing like in Wisconsin's history before other people that we're not going to talk about in this oh, yeah. podcast there, there, yeah. there were came some, along and outdid him so pretty well. He, so he burned a, a good section of the house mm-hmm. and then you know managed to kill seven people so with an axe. his whole point was to mm-hmm. try to burn down Taliesin, kill everybody so there'd be no witnesses because a black man with all these white people dead, he knew you know he was going to get lynched. Mm-hmm. He, like He kind of had this kind of plan because he had bought hydrochloric acid in order to kill himself. Uh, muratic acid. They called it muratic yeah, acid. Yeah. That's just the common like household name. Right. But you essentially know. that's what it was. It was just a really harsh way to kill yourself. Little Timmy took a drink and he will drink no more because what he thought was H2O was H2SO4. <laughs> <laughs> Oldie. That's right. Uh, so No, that's a good one though. So he drank this and well, he, he ran off. It's a long sordid tale, but he ran off hid in the woods. Frank heard about us. Everyone Found out about this blood everywhere, brains, you know, fire, pain and death. He drank the muriatic acid and didn't die, but never said anything. He lived for like seven and a half weeks. They were going to lynch him on the spot when they finally found him because they pretty much figured out it was him because his wife escaped the butchering and kind of confessed that it was probably him. And, And then one of the people was an eyewitness and lived through... There's a lot of lot of uh, story behind it. I don't know. What do you guys want to say about it? It's crazy. Well, I, it, it is. I mean, I don't know what you really can say about yeah, it. it was just, other than it's huge tragedy. Yeah. I didn't really dig into it too far. but There's a book was... called Death in a Prairie House by William Drennan. So if you're really interested in the Stephen King kind of aspect of this story, <laughs> read this book. Um, I haven't gotten all the way through it, but I wish I would have gotten it sooner, but I couldn't get my hands on it until couple days ago and it's it's really horrific and 
he didn't give any proper clues to why he did it. And he just starved himself to death. I mean, that's how well, he died finally. Th- I mean, yeah, they think that he might not have been able to digest things. Probably after he took the acid. Yeah, yeah. he could eat. Wow. He could kind of talk. He didn't do much. He just eventually died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was all in the papers. And honestly, Frank Lloyd Wright was totally destroyed by this. Um, even yeah, I mean, the children would. of the other wife, were they, they felt there was a real deep bond between the two of them. And the fact that she was butchered and her children were killed and he lost his partner in this way was just horrific for him mm-hmm. to a point of despair. But anyway, he did rebuild months later Taliesin and start working on it again and, and bringing the place back up again. But what a crazy, crazy event to happen yeah. for no reason yeah. at all. No particular reason. I just, yeah, just random violence. Contributed to sort of soiling his name. In the United States as well. I mean, there's people that, you know, because of this and because of the, you know, the issue with the scandal with his wife and everything, there weren't necessarily that many people chomping at the bit to hire him. Right. Around this time. I think that's fair to say. I mean, I think it was just one of those things where. um, Yeah, it's. It 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 would have it would have been an odd event at any time, but certainly in 1914, rural Midwestern America. That yeah. I can't believe there isn't a movie made about this yet. You know that that always I'm, struck me just, as yeah. unusual too. It's such a crazy part of American history. Because honestly, guys, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not kidding. I do believe he's probably one of the greatest architects of the last hundred years. I mean, this oh, yeah. guy, oh, yeah. I, greatest architect in America, but yeah. really brilliant, brilliant style and artist, and then. This crazy murder happens. It, it's like having Manson show up in the middle of your sure, it is. You know, presidency. It's it's a, yeah, it's a very good yeah, a very yeah. good comparison. It's just yeah. But uh, what kind of becomes of this? That same year in uh, 1914 is is when he meets uh, Maud Miriam Knoll. Um, yeah, she she writes some letters and anyway they they correspond. This seems like one of those classic correspondences that happens to people like Jeffrey Dahmer, where people write to him in prison about how much I love you and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. This is like someone who like, I love you, Frank Lloyd Wright. I can't believe the tragedy you've gone through. And and he yeah. fell in love with her because of that. <laughs> yeah. And little did he know she was like a morphine addict, crazy woman. Right. <laughs> who wasn't wow. going to do him so, any good at all. So Mr. Toad's Wild Ride was far from over. And... <laughs> I know. Right. So, so then yeah. he ends up with uh, Maud. Well, yeah, but but so Kitty finally granted him a divorce in 1922, and, and but he still had to wait a year before he could marry Maud. <sighs> yeah. And... and But in 1916, this is when Wright goes to Japan yeah. with the... Yes. Uh, with with uh, Miriam Knoll, and this is when he begins work on the Imperial Hotel. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of Wright documentaries, they kind of, it, it's like a one sentence or one paragraph thing that uh, Wright goes to Japan and works on the Imperial Hotel. He really gets into Japanese art and buys a lot of, you know, in Japanese prints and etchings or whatnot. And that's that. But his work in Japan mm-hmm. is is actually quite extensive he made a big influence on japan and all the architects in, in japan uh in much the same way he did in the united states let's let me just say though there's two yeah. aspects to his work in japan that i find absolutely wonderful one is what you're talking about and i really appreciate that part and you can go on about that the other one is his art collection 
that's what I'd like to talk about. So why don't you talk about architecture and then I want to talk about art collection. Okay. That, that sounds good. <laughs> um, uh, unfortunately, I can't remember any of the names of the uh, Japanese architects that he worked with mm-hmm. that, um, and some of them actually would come back with him to Taliesin and, and kind of attend the Taliesin school of architecture. Okay. Um, but there's quite a few buildings he designed in Japan. By far the most famous one was the Imperial Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, right. He, he actually worked with the, you know, Imperial government and, you know, got this commission to design this hotel. And some people consider it, you know, one of his top three greatest works. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen pictures of it. I think it's a beautiful building. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was the earthquake that really sold the Japanese on the building. Right. There was, after it was built, it uh, there was an earthquake and uh, much of Tokyo was destroyed. All but, of it. Uh, Only the Frank Lloyd Wright building <laughs> stood. If you believe Frank Lloyd Wright's just side of about, the story. yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, and that that became kind of the the renaissance of Frank Lloyd Wright's career. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that, this Imperial Hotel, and and so where his career was diving down, he sort of resurrects it in in Japan, and he also. He won't admit it, but he picked up a lot of Japanese influence in, in architecture. Oh yeah, and um, clearly he did. The, I would love to see the Imperial Hotel at some point. Unfortunately, it's gone. It was torn down <laughs> in 1967 by greedy businessmen. Yeah, who can you imagine? Realized, like they just threw up an ugly high rise, which because which <laughs> well, has yeah. more more rooms, so they can make more money. There were sure. some major buildings that he built in the 70s that were torn down. I mean, by the 1970s, you should know better than to tear oh. down a Frank Lloyd Wright building. So you know, it's just it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, they did save part of it, and it's been relocated to another part of Japan, mm-hmm. so you can see part of it. If you go to Japan, well, a- another thing that I'd like to say about Wright's, you know, trip in Japan is Japan at this time, and probably going back into the 19th century a bit, uh, they were hiring a lot of Western architects to come in and build their cities for them and and design new buildings for Japan because Japan w- was a very closed culture right. for, for many years, and then they just kind of opened up and and they started trying to, you know, absorb all this Western culture that they could. So, you know, you would get European architects and they would come in and they'd, you know, build the classical buildings with the white <laughs> pillars. And, sure. You know, it'd be, you know, middle Japan and you'd have a, you know, some building that's more appropriate for northern Germany or something. Or, you know, really wasn't appropriate for Japan. It was, you know, a European building. Mm-hmm. Well, And when, it had a different base of the construction, yeah, they'd use different. They'd use materials from like Europe and stuff. Mm-hmm. It it just really didn't make sense. But so when Wright comes in, he says, "No, your building techniques and everything is you know that's fine. I'm going to show you some new things, but I'm going to try to you know accentuate you know what's good about Japanese architecture, and and, and we're going to build it using local materials. It, it's you know he he made it okay." For the Japanese to build like Japanese, and okay. whereas you know the other Western architects are like, well, no, we must build this Greek structure, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it he really turned the whole tide of Japanese 
architecture. J- Japan would look very different mm-hmm. uh, had there been no Frank Lloyd Wright. Now, that's not to say, you know, Japan's a big country, so I'm sure you got all kinds of buildings with all kinds of influence. Oh, but, sure, different styles. But you, there definitely is a a handful of architects that definitely really took to the the Frank Lloyd Wright way of thinking. You also it see made a big influence. Yeah, you also see some of that influence in what he built in America, where he had some of the Japanese-looking buildings with the arched yeah. roof. Oh yeah, there, and, there was definitely a synthesis oh, yeah. there. Where, yeah, yeah. So definitely. Let me just jump in, and and it's a longer story, but he studied Japanese art for a long time, and yeah. he'd been back and forth since like '05 or whatever. So he'd go to Japan. He he was an art collector part time, and he would do a lot of art collection. So and I got to say, I'm with him. I know it's a little bit passe at some points, but I'm a huge fan of the Hiroshige prints. Mm-hmm. And you see these all the time on calendars and posters. And sure. they're just kind of classically just used everywhere because they're right. copyright copyright free and whatever. So anyway, I love them. There's one here in the studio right now on mm-hmm. the wall. Right. So anyway, big fan. And so he has been selling these prints and he would sometimes make more money from the print cells than he would from architecture work that he would do. Mm-hmm. And so at one point he got accused of making forgeries. So if you can picture Frank Lloyd Wright, he, here he was like trying to, you know, make sure you put one of these prints on your wall in your Frank Lloyd Wright building to, it would match, it would fit perfectly there. And then having someone figure out that, well, Frank made that one and he was accused of forgery and it kind of became, oh, I don't know if I want to buy stuff from him because I'm not sure if that's real right. or if he's well, made it. So I'm not saying he did forge anything, but it became people became suspicious of him for that. But he'd written books on Hiroshige. He got the Art Institute of Chicago to do a giant exposition on him and mm-hmm. and got a lot of work done. Um, if you don't know about about him, he's a great artist, and we, we should do a podcast on him sometime. Yeah, that but, would be uh, good. Yeah, I mean, Frank Lloyd Wright wrote like 20 books. Yeah, yeah. So... um. There was a mathematician here at the university, Edmund Van Vleck. <laughs> and, and Van Vleck, uh, there's a building named after him right next to Van Heys or whatever. So the Van Vleck building is named after Van Vleck. And Van hmm. Vleck was also an amateur buyer of art. And, and so at one point, during a very low point for Frank Lloyd Wright after this time, Van Vleck bought his entire Hiroshige. Well, actually, he lost some in a fire, too. There was a fire on Taliesin in like uh, 1915 or 16 where due to faulty wiring, he lost what he ca- he said just was a, an unmeasurable loss. Mm-hmm. He said it was just I, I can't even calculate how much I lost. And I, I it, it sends shudders down my spine that oh, yeah. that much art would just be lost. But no one knows really what it was. Frank said it was just unmeasurable. But he, because of all this and because of the problems sold these prints to van vleck for a dollar a piece wow so van vleck got the whole collection that fire was in 1925 25 okay right so it was like in 28 that van vleck bought everything from frank lloyd for like dollar a piece and then this is what gets me full circle is my favorite art collection of hiroshige is in the chazen museum 
and it was all basically donated by Van Vleck. Oh, really? So it is the same collection that's in the Chazen wow. Institute oh, right now. That, that, that. That's in Madison? In Madison. Cool. Downtown Madison, right across from the Humanities Building in the Chazen mm-hmm. Museum of Art. Yeah. I've been there, but I haven't been there for years. So go to the Japanese yeah. woodblock print section, and you'll find anything named Hiroshige, and you'll see... It's from the Van Vleck group. So no one knew it came from Flank Lloyd Wright until they looked at the purchasing, and it was FLW, FLW, FLW. And they were like, who's this FLW? And it was Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, so in my uh, mind, I keep thinking, I'm not saying this in any way is, po- you know, okay, it's possible, but probable, that maybe one of those Hiroshige prints hanging on the wall in the Chase Museum of Art is yeah. actually a forgery. By Frank Lloyd Wright himself. Uh, that would be, that'd almost make it worth more. It'd almost yeah, make it, it better would, for me. Yeah. I'd it? be better owning yeah. I'd be uh, happier to have that, that would than be an actual uh-huh. Hiroshi gift. That's print. a great story. But yeah. anyway, I'm a huge fan of those, and I, I feel like it's a bit of a kindred thing that you oh, was yeah. so into that. So anyway, yeah. that's my Frank Lloyd Wright art story. Well, the fire actually occurred. So, I mean, there's a second fire, you know, about 10 years later. There's a lot of fire in his life. Yeah, and, uh, mm-hmm. and this was from... Uh, a telephone system that had been installed, which That's it was right faulty wiring the telephone. Well, system. that wasn't uncommon in those days mm. because, um, you know, you had a considerable voltage and those wires were very poorly insulated. So even though you have this, you know, top line, very well crafted home, you put in this modern yeah. convenience and it's like some guys like, you know, with a butt crack. <laughs> oh, where do you want it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It takes out all this art and everything else. Yeah, yeah. That still reminds me. I I think you guys, when we were all working together in the same office, Mm -hmm. there was electricians working in the ceiling, running wires, right? You know, no, 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 the red one. (laughs) (laughs) The place would go out, or then, or then, like the whole building would go out, candy. Yeah, because they were putting in the mistake on the lake. And they would just like cut. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how you fucking do that. <laughs> you know, where you just cut Oops. the main power. Yeah. Literally cut it, not you turn it off, but you severed the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we'll 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 get to that eventually. So what, so what, Frank that, and Maude did not get along. Yeah. Maude was like a little crazy and he ended that relationship in like nineteen twenty seven. Right. And yeah. then and then met like the woman of his the rest of his life. Olga. Olga Vanna. Olga Vanna. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that woman is a perfect uh, perfect woman for, for Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> yeah, I think so in a lot of ways, <laughs> Took too. charge. Had some moxie, some business savvy. Keep him in line. And allowed the whole fellowship to develop into some kind of cult of Frank Lloyd Wright. What I think is interesting, though, with Frank's personal relationships is, is that... The women that he left don't grant him divorces for years later, but he's already like moved on. Mm-hmm. And then finally, at some point, they go, "Oh yeah, what the hell? Let's just sign off on this <laughs> and get it done." <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Maude actually died the next year. Yeah, I, I yeah, don't, I don't, I'm not sure ex- exactly how even, but 1928 she died. Yeah, yeah, I don't have that. I mean, I don't have what she died from. No, no, I couldn't find it actually. No, I'm sure it was some I, kind of morphine overdose or something like that. I yeah, uh, I'm get, yeah. My kings of New York, <laughs> whatever. 
Princess of Pennsylvania. <laughs> no, it's the, I don't know what that movie was. Oh, uh, the Cider House. Girls. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Kings of New England. You Kings, Kings of, of New, New England. England. Yeah. <laughs> you bastards of <clears throat> Wisconsin. The only movie I like that had Tobey Maguire in it. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, it's Spider Man. Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, kind of uh, as Bright was having all these problems, uh, you know, with his marriages and everything, people kind of wrote off his career, figuring, well, that was yeah. a nice career he had, and right, kind of ends weird, and mm-hmm. that's that. But he's Frank washed was up. the comeback kid. Yeah, you know, he's born eighteen sixty-seven, so it's he's getting kind of old here already by the 1920s and 30s he's kind of old to be as poor as he is and oh yeah begging for money and he was a genius of manipulating the loan system and like oh Oh. can i just get another loan on this remodel and i want a second mortgage on that and he would oh constantly and he was always bumming money money off of friends yeah yeah i mean that you did not want to be tight with frank lloyd (laughs) Wright because this guy was going to put the the touch on you this is i've talked to people in madison that you know they were like from Spring Green, right? And they didn't like him because they, you know, knew people who right never paid him back. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it it talk to me about Franklin right now. Son of a bitch owes me twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of so he. <laughs> It, love life he had some issues with and money certainly he he didn't he would not have passed you know an accounting or an economics course no again yeah. no. magneto yeah <laughs> yeah uh-huh. and the other thing is that the harsh the thing that he lived through just like you know magneto being the one who lives through the holocaust and is all right you know, here he has Damaged his whole family from mutilated from it. and here he is just i'm and then just taunted by on. kevin bacon Yes. Yes. No one I mean, that, that would crush me. <laughs> right there. <laughs> Being taunted by Kevin Bacon. Now you're into the Michael Fassbender Magneto. <laughs> I'm still in my old man Gandalf Magneto phase. <laughs> Charles, like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> They're Why just no knobs. Well, should we move on to Falling Water? Are, well, are we there let, yet? Please, let us move so, to Falling so, Water. Old Gavana also had him like write an autobiography and do some other things to try to get his notoriety more out there, to, to push himself more as like, oh, yes, I In am a, good a genius. Way. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. Right? yeah, that's when he starts kind of buying into his own myth. He's right. like Wild yeah. Bill Hickok. It's like, well, maybe fact, I am the fastest gun in the West. Yeah. You know? Right, so, right. Okay. So so he got he got Falling Water because one of the students, because Old Gavana started this taliesin institute to try to teach others architecture yeah and it wasn't really that it was more like a soviet union commune where you go there you pay money and then you build things for yeah, frank Lloyd would right would, on the property right you would, <laughs> you would pay to come help frank Lloyd Wright build his house right right but these people who did it i mean they loved it they felt i mean they because right. they were just working with frank Lloyd Wright. you're learning a lot about architecture and right. the way he thinks so uh-huh. you, you i'm know, hearing they, a lot of blah 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 but i'm not seeing anything getting built <laughs> right yeah yeah so, you know, it's kind of like the karate kid, you know? You want to learn karate? <laughs> I will paint my fence first. Wax off! Wax off! Yeah. <laughs> I'm cleaning your old goddamn house, Mr. Miyagi. It is exactly like Karate Kid. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and the Cobra Kai are just sitting out there waiting for Frank Lloyd Wright right to fail. Uh-huh. Going, Sweep the leg! Sweep the leg! <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, oh Jesus! 
Um, it's impossible, but we have tied <laughs> Ralph Macchio and Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> I think that's it. I don't think we need to do any more podcasts. I mean, that's it. We've, we've brought everything full circle. There is something I really loved about Falling Water is that there was this point, and I believe it was Falling Water, where, well, it was a student that got the dad enamored of... Yeah, it was uh, the student and... His dad was a big dis- department store businessman, so he had lots of money. Now, I, b- I believe it was him. <laughs> Which Frank was aware of. <laughs> I, I, could, I could be wrong in this story. It might not be this story, but uh, at, at a certain point, the homeowner was in Chicago, and Frank Wright was in Taliesin in Spring Green. Yeah. And he said, oh, they called him to see how it was going. How was the planning going? How the plan's said, coming, yeah. They're, they're great. We're just waiting for you to come up here and see him. He said, I'll be up there in a couple hours. <laughs> Yeah. Because <laughs> it takes like two and a half hours to drive up there. Right. So then, then Frank sat down, you know, after not doing anything for, you know, months, nothing, yeah. sat down and drew the entire building from scratch from that point on. He just wow. sat down yeah. and, and people watched him draw it. Like he drew, he drew the floor plan for the first floor, the second floor. He drew the, the side view and the other view and everything. By the time he got there and was just finishing the views when he drove up to see what Falling Water was going to La- Later on yeah. in his autobiography, uh, he, he actually called that the pulled it out of my ass project. <laughs> <laughs> Falling out of my ass water. But, but he would, Frank Lloyd Wright would claim, was like, oh, the plans were complete. They were just. He just all, hasn't written them down. Yeah. They're just all it's in my all head. Up here. It's all, all up in here. his head. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, I kind of believe that. Oh no, yeah. you don't. Oh yeah, I do. I no, don't think. I don't yeah. think you could just pull falling water out of your ass. I mean, if he could, yeah. then he's even more of a genius than I already give him credit for. It's a gorgeous it. building, and and and, the, and what it, yeah. I mean, there's no bad picture you can take of falling water. I think falling water is the one yeah. referenced in the Hyperion series of novels too. In Hyperion, really, they have they time travel or space time and space travel to falling water at a certain point. Wow. I think it's an end Endymion. Anyway, Endymion, one of those books in that series okay. by Dan Simmons, they actually travel to falling water. Wow. Yes. Now, now the cu- I tied Dan Simmons to Frank Lloyd Wright too. <laughs> now the customer, uh, his name was uh, Edgar Kaufman. Edgar Kaufman, senior. Yeah. Yes. And um, it was Andy Kaufman's dad. <laughs> yeah, actually, no, it was Edward Edgar Kaufman Jr.'s dad, which is Andy Kaufman's <laughs> uncle. That's right. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they had a, 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 you know, actually a pretty good relationship between Edgar and uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, mm-hmm. and uh, a, a, so they were in in touch with each other for years. So, in a way, it went beyond. The typical uh, client-customer relationship, you know. Uh, uh, in fact, I uh, heard one guy describe it as Kaufman was almost more of a patron for uh, Frank Lloyd Wright and, and supported him and gave him loans and, you know, sort of helped him out. Frank was was yeah. in a lot of ways like uh, a Renaissance artist. He kind of went from patron to patron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can actually see that early on with Sullivan, you know, forward into his life. I mean, right. he yeah. kind of went yeah. from patron He to called patron. him Sullivan. He always saw as like his master, like the guy yes. who taught mm-hmm. him. The master. Yeah, the master. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Edgar Kauf- Kaufman's son... Um, Edgar Kaufman Jr. <laughs> Donnie. Makes it kind of difficult, doesn't it? His French is called Donnie. Donnie. Kid after yourself. Yeah. Uh, uh, Junior uh, did did not have any kids, 
and he was the only son. So it was kind of, there wasn't going to be any heirs for falling water at some point. So they, they set up in the will that it would be um, given to this conservancy. And uh, <laughs> given to his cats, <laughs> the, the land would be protected, and it would be Only op- cats open would to be the public. In the building. <laughs> okay. So, and and for that reason, uh, you can now go to Falling Water and tour it. Yeah, and, and I would see love it. to. I gotta yeah, say, I, it's I, the only I reason go I would go to Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> It is a beautiful building, and the fact that he built yeah. it over the river the way he did, and it just kind of just pops. It's yeah, the Kaufmans had this land that mm. I believe they bought from uh, Masons or Shriners or something. But <laughs> <laughs> some guy in a fez, I don't know, he came up and he says, "Hey, hey, you want to buy some land? Want to buy some a, land? <laughs> once all they got the little mini cars right. and you know pulled out of the the creek there, it was actually pretty nice. But the." Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, and they it had this little waterfall in it that they just love swimming in and, and enjoying it. So they, when they hired Frank Lloyd Wright, they thought he would build the house across the stream, and so you could watch uh, the waterfall from the living room window. And, and of course, Wright said, uh, "No, let's put it on top of the waterfall," and that just changed everything. It actually gave them a view. You know, from above the fall, looking down, which is almost like a bird's eye view. Yeah. So that's uh, it. Must know, be gorgeous. Yeah, but, but, but that's if you go to you... the spot where you look up at the waterfall, you see falling water. Yeah. So you now kinda, you see the house. He's so kind of like, oh, that's the waterfall you like. Well, there's the house you like. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So I, I guess, in a way, Frank Lloyd Wright likes being the center of attention. No. But uh, <laughs> get out of here. Get out. But. Here. He was such a wallflower. You know, Falling Water, it's right up there, you know, a top five Frank Lloyd oh. Wright house and probably one of the most famous buildings in the Uni- United oh, States. Easily. Yeah. Easily. I think it's my favorite. <laughs> I also, I've also seen um, my in laws have a winter home in Scottsdale. So I, I've seen Taliesin oh, West. Yeah, oh, Taliesin yeah. West? Cool. Did you uh, four play that or whatever that thing is the kids are doing? The four square in? Did you foursquare that you've been at Taliesin and Taliesin West? (laughs) Are you king of Taliesin Town? Because you've been to both of them? No, I just happened to I foursquared it. And I have to say, it's really a very beautiful area. I really, I really, I love Arizona. I love the desert, but I cannot abide the politics of mm-hmm. Arizona. Yeah. So it, it's Arizona is a state that deeply frustrates me because I would love to live in the high desert. But and Taliesin West is a gorgeous example of taking that style and adapting it to the desert. Well, he had yeah. some health problems, so he couldn't really handle the Wisconsin winters anymore. And then who the needed fuck to winter can? down there? Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, he used um, Arizona stones and Arizona materials oh, yeah. to build it. It's beautiful. Yeah, just beautiful. Yeah. Which is interesting because, well, that was – when did he build that? That was in like the 40s that he built Taliesin West or the 50s? Um, like when did he build Taliesin West? It was West? like late 30s. Because that's about the same time because you were talking about the Johnson building. Johnson it it was mid-late yeah. 30s that he built oh. the Johnson building. <laughs> it it Johnson. was in 1937 <laughs> that he purchased 800 acres of land in Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. Right. So yeah, so in in 36 he built the Johnson. And what I wanted to say about the Johnson building was this whole idea. This was the building where he had the rods of glass that he mm-hmm. put in it. And this is something I kind of disagree with him about because he's like it must be built with these rods because he hated <sighs> Racine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
And again, who doesn't? And again, I'm not disagreeing with him on that part. What I'm disagreeing with him is they they said Johnson Wax was like, no, let's build it over here, and and he said, and they said, no, it's got to be here in Racine, and he said. Oh really? Okay. Well, if it has to be in Racine, there will be no windows. So, so because who wants to see this shit? No one wants to Nobody. see Racine. So he blocked off Racine. He just walled it off, and then at the top, he he wanted tubes of glass all across the top of the building. So they had to figure out how to manufacture these tubes, and then slap them together, and then make them waterproof somehow. And when I say that, I mean he didn't do any of that. He just slapped them on top, and they weren't waterproof. I mean, <laughs> they tried to make them waterproof, but even the president himself of the company had to have a bucket, you know, to catch the drops. And right. when they would call Frank, he would say, "If you want beautiful architecture, you sometimes have to sacrifice." <laughs> it's like, no, no. If you build a building, it shouldn't leak. Right. It is your job and that's one of the as architect that you hear the most and I think that's really where that <laughs> that part of uh, of it came from is that yeah, they're beautiful buildings unless it rains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but in a way, Frank, it's not a beautiful building if, if no. it rains. <laughs> it's raining inside the building. Number 1, it's shelter. <laughs> <laughs> A fucking lean-to is shelter. But it, it just shows. He's like, no, no. It's an aesthetic. It's a yeah, thing well, you yeah. walk into that looks beautiful it's, it, it, if it, it's not ready. He's very driven by the aesthetic. <laughs> and he's also kind of, you know, he's getting to be an old man. So he's kind of... He's kind of crotchety. It's like, he, well, he screw wants, you. He wants to see his painting, you know, which is his building. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it's just... You know, he's got to build it his way. It's got to be a certain and, way. And he's very, very confident in his ability as an engineer. You know, he's right. certain he understands how these things work. And they had that issue with uh, falling water. Oh, there were some uh, structural issues. Yes, that there had were. To be yeah. Wright said, well, we need, they use reinforced concrete, concrete for all these cantilever balconies. Mm-hmm. And Wright said, uh, yeah, we need this much steel and this much concrete and we're good. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and we're good. <laughs> Kaufman uh, thought, I'm going to just run this by some engineers. And the engineers are like, oh, no, you need, like, way more steel. So as it turns out, the, the builder... The foreman he, snuck some extra steel into some, it. But he kind of split the difference. Right. He didn't quite give as many as Not the enough. engineers wanted. And uh, so eventually, you know, well, I'm not sure what decade it was, but, you know, 80s or 90s or something... Falling water is starting to sag pretty good on all the cantilever balconies. So they did go through a restoration process and and a beefed up, you know, using engineering techniques, all these uh, balconies and everything so they wouldn't fall down. And that's – I I toured a house in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I believe it was the Meyer house. I forget what year it was made. But it's this beautiful house, and it was bought by the Steelcase Company. If you ever worked in an office, you probably had a file cabinet made by the Steelcase oh, Company. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so Steelcase had the whole thing totally restored, and they basically took the roof off and put in, you know, hid steel I beams in the roof. So now everything is will go straight. Mm-hmm. So it's considered one of the the best uh, restored houses of Frank Lloyd Wright. Mm. You know, to the most precision, and I, I believe it's called the Meyer House. Mm. So that's if you're ever in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, 
And it, and it wouldn't. It's like the Vienna of the Midwest. Uh, yeah. Oh. If you're in Grand <laughs> Rapids, Michigan, and you want something do, to do, this is one of the few things. So. Is that near Hell, Michigan? <laughs> oh, that's kind of near Ypsilanti. Uh, it's just northwest of Hurley. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. No, that's No, different. no, no. Grand Rapids is not anywhere near Hurley. <laughs> no. I, Grand Rapids, is, it's, in the, it's in the mitten, man. It's in the lower peninsula. I, it's part of it's Western the, Michigan. It's in the oven mitt. <laughs> yeah. The oven mitt yeah. of Michigan. So, it, you know, they had the same kind of problem with uh, the Johnson building. Like we were talking about the lily pads earlier that hold up the whole roof structure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, they had to they, – they wouldn't believe him that they would hold the weight that they needed to hold. So yeah. out at Taliesin is where they built a lily pad with the <laughs> tiny little bottom and then they kept craning more and more weight onto the top of it <laughs> until it toppled just to see how much weight it could actually take. Sure. And it, yeah. it, it took plenty of weight. So he was right. So he's right in that case. Right. Just not always. That's the yeah. thing about Frank. Yeah. You know, you have no idea when Frank. he's bluffing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he's just bullshitting. <laughs> he's just bullshitting you. <laughs> no, no, this is right. It'll handle that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think uh, we could say probably, you know, his, you know, in, in his uh, later life, uh, very, very later life, mm-hmm. uh, the Guggenheim. Yeah, 43. Yeah, 40. Well, yeah. 1943. So that, that's when so. he starts work on the Guggenheim. Yeah. And I d- I'm not, did it even... Was it finished before he died? or I, I don't I, think so. Because he, he died think, in 59, and I think the Guggenheim opened after his after death. After he passed yeah. away, yeah. And, and the Guggenheim, I've never been to the Guggenheim, but I, I I love it. Like We were talking earlier about those you know Legos mm-hmm. sets. I, I yeah. really th- Those always intrigue the hell out of me. You know, It's just like, oh, it would be great just to have a model of the Guggenheim because it's just <laughs> such a pretty building. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm not like Hitler, you know, I'm not a freak about architecture or anything, but it's just like one of those buildings that... Yeah. You know, I, the, we are dancing about architecture tonight. Yeah, the Lego the set of the, the... The neat thing about the Guggenheim, it, it kind of has that spiral. Uh, yes. Yeah, no you, flat surfaces. Yeah, where you can kind of walk up the spiral and, and see, view the art all the mm-hmm. way up. Now, the Lego model... They take what if you had the space set, you know, where you had the, like these um, radio dishes that you would mm-hmm. put on top of your Starfighter or whatever. Right. What they did is they just stacked a bunch of those dishes to kind of make the spiral. Oh. But of course, it doesn't really spiral on no, the Lego no. model. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so. Yeah. It's just taking you know, plates and putting them yeah, together. Not like Lego necessarily has to be an exact replica because it's a Lego model. But you know, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's not spiraling. And for some reason, that bothers <laughs> like me. In Lego. I'm looking at yeah, you, Mister yeah. Lego. Uh, <laughs> although I'm not sure how you'd make a spiral was, on Lego. Actually, the inventor was Larry Lego. <laughs> Larry Lego, <laughs> great I, uncle. I would just use that name, like to check into places. Hey, I'm Larry Lego. Lego, Larry Lego, Larry Lego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, are you excited about uh, the Bond movie coming out in November? Yeah, I am. Oh yeah. Yeah. I hear after he fakes be. his death, he has to pretend to be someone else. Awesome. Larry Lego. Larry, Larry Lego. <laughs> License to kill. James Bond's been murdered. <laughs> we got to get Larry Lego. I'm Lego. Larry Lego. <laughs> so, the Larry Lego identity. <laughs> Larry, the Lego identity. Hey, just to uh, to end the whole Larry Lego thing. <laughs> and, uh, and I wish you get to just not get the fuck off. The <laughs> it's not, really not funny anymore. Um, the, uh, the, there's an article that uh, Frank Lloyd Wright wrote for uh, Ladies Home Journal that you can find <laughs> on the internet. And, 
Because that's that's where you know no higher accolade than Lenny Tome Journal. Yeah, yeah, but it's called a fireproof house for five thousand dollars. That's right. And uh, well, Frank knows about fireproof. Yeah, I got a picture no, of it. It's that's pretty cool. Why I, you know, that. too bad there's inflation. I'd love to build that house for five thousand. Yeah, bucks. that would really be nice. Now, if um, only there was an axe murderer-proof house. But but. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, the the article he wrote in uh, 1907, <laughs> and uh, there's a house in Madison uh, called the Lamp House. It's yes. just, just a few blocks off the square, and that house, I think, is 1903. It's either 03 or 05. Um, but the Lamp House was actually the inspiration for the fireproof house. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. And the fireproof house, you know, so there was an article about it, and then at the little bottom of the article, it, it said, uh, if you know, if you'd like to build it, contact Frank Lloyd Wright, and for mm-hmm. whatever commission, he'll... He'll send, do it. Which would be kind of funny. Plan. It's like, uh, is it Frank Lloyd Wright? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got five grand. But he would uh-huh. take these deals. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I, I don't know, there's a handful of these fireproof houses, you know, across the nation. Oh, that's and, really uh, neat. But any, the inspiration is in Madison. Wow. And uh, it's still there, although it's kind of trashed. I think it's now college student housing. <laughs> it's a student house. So it's just like, <laughs> it's like beer kegs. <laughs> beer kegs and, you know, puking and, you know. I, this, I, biked, yeah. by, I biked by one of these college houses because I bike to work all the time. Uh-huh. I was biking to work and I saw I saw one of these porches had, had a sign on it that said, no creepers. This probably means you. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? I don't know. Are they trying to keep people from creeping into their parties or something? Yeah. But it was just right out on the pole out front while I was biking by. No creepers. This probably means you. Yeah, the lamp house, <laughs> it's built in the middle of the block. Oh. So there's all houses around it, and then there's just a a driveway that goes between two houses and then into the middle of the block and there's the lamp house. Oh, that's funny. So you kind of got to check that out. I'll hail the lamp house. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of just sort of got to sneak down someone's driveway and like, okay, that's a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Yeah. <laughs> they really need to mow the lawn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the idea of the Usonian house. He became very, very, you know, also famous for that. Well, know, the Usonian house uh, came later. Right. And there's... Uh, Probably the best example of a Usonian house is also in Madison, in the Westmoreland neighborhood. Right. And uh, I've never been inside the house, but I've walked by it a number of times. And it's just, you know, this beautiful wood walls and looks okay. pretty cool. Uh, but the, the, there's uh, about half a dozen uh, right design buildings in, in, in Madison. Oh, yeah. A few homes. There's uh, even more, like I say, that Marshall Erdman, who was who, who was one of his students. Yeah, the stu- the students of him. There's one story. There's a house down on a uh, Lake Mendota, near I think possibly your neck of the woods, Sputnik. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But the the story goes that uh, th- this is a the person who built it was on a budget, didn't have a lot of money, so Wright helped him find. Uh, extra supplies and you know sort of recycled materials sure and, and turns out the, the guy had to uh replace a window after it was done because the etching from the previous use of the window was starting to show uh-huh. you know so it had like a storefront you know <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you know saloon or something on the window <laughs> that was showing through it. um oh we really should mention 
the what the way Frank Lloyd Wright did windows uh, in many of his homes, he would, uh, you know, normally okay, you take a rectangle and you frame it in wood and you stick it in the wall mm-hmm. is how a normal window works. But Frank Lloyd Wright would run the glass straight into a a stone wall mm-hmm. and, and just scribe the glass right into the wall, so it would give you that feeling of openness. Right. Like so, the inside and the outside would be at one, and you see that in quite a few of his homes, and it's it's pretty cool. It is. It is very. There's yeah. the uh, one you can purchase tours at the uh, Unitarian Meeting House mm-hmm. he, at uh, First Unitarian. Well, that um, Unitarian Church right next to the hospital. In, in right, Madison, University that, of that's a, Yeah, it's that, very interesting. That's, that's a Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah, it's building. a beautiful Frank Lloyd Wright building. Very, yeah, yeah. very much so. And and I, I gotta say, you know, we're we're glossing over the whole fellowship and Olga Vanna's influence and the fact that he was really yeah. putting students to work for many years. This was a place where right. people, no one really got anywhere. Like there's yeah. there's been few of these people who were accolades that actually went anywhere because honestly. From the view of the fellowship or Olga Vanna, it was a cult of personality. Yes, it and was. And when you left the fellowship or when you left the institute or the building area, you were sh- kind of shunned. That was yeah. – you were abandoning Frank <laughs> or, or <laughs> Mr. Wright because they didn't call him Frank. You were yeah. abandoning Mr. Wright. Uh-huh. And uh, it was it, it wasn't viewed upon graciously, which is kind of an interesting thing. It, it's that That may not – I I think some of the ones that then went back to Japan, mm-hmm. I I think they may have done okay. Although maybe not all of them. I'm not sure. I don't know enough about it. I just say from the from the fellowship's perspective, it was uh, yeah. you were respected when you were there, and and Olga Vanna was arranging oh, marriages yeah. with people. She was discouraging people right. from flirting with each other. It was very cult like and wow. very organized. And she was the matriarch. Okay, and he yeah, was from the her patriarch. point. So some of these who left, they might have been successful as architects, yeah. but they may have been kind of shunned yeah, by you, the Yeah, it's not like you could go back again and say, hey, how's it going? Hey, it's yeah. like, oh. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. but hearing about the lifestyle, it wasn't to everybody's liking. Um, and that's that was what I was going to mention is um, the daughter of Olga Vanna, uh, Svetlana, um, that's what Taliesin does to me. Shining brow. Oh, shining brow? Shining brow. Yeah. So Taliesin means shining brow. The shining brow is where everybody worked their butts off for <laughs> Olga Vanna. <laughs> it means biggest dickus. But they did have a child together. But Olga Vanna's other daughter, Svetlana Hinzenberg, um, and that was another that was another big deal that we didn't talk about much. But when Olga Vanna and Frank were getting together. They ran off and got arrested in Minnetonka because he crossed state lines <laughs> oh, yeah. with a woman. Right. And he got in huge trouble. Made the news all over again with her and woman everything. woman who he wasn't married to or something. It was like the Man Act. <laughs> yeah. What was that? That's some law to like somehow control prostitution or something that they Yeah, ba- Yeah, that's up. exactly what it was yeah. for. And, and yeah, that's... Not uh... to be confused with the Manfred Man Act. <laughs> 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 so yeah, he's just driving across the state lines wow. with a woman that you're not married to could be a problem. So he spent a little time in jail. Yeah. yeah. And not a very well-designed jail either. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to mention that um, Olga Vanna did have a daughter, Svetlana, who died in a car crash right. with her son. But um, Olga Vanna then arranged for the husband to marry Svetlana Alievna, who, who was Joseph Stalin's daughter 
Mm. And then they had a daughter, Olga, and she came away unimpressed. This is the thing that the daughter of Joseph Stalin had to say about Taliesin. This hierarchical system was appalling. The widow at the top, then the board of directors, then her own close inner circle making all the real decisions, then working architects, the real working horses at the bottom, students who paid high sums to be admitted only to be sent away the next day to work in the kitchen to peel potatoes. Mrs. Wright's word was law. She was to be adored and worshipped and flattered as often as possible. Flowers sent by mail and presented by hand she enjoyed and encouraged. She gave advice to the architects, guided a drama circle and dance group and a choir, counseling on private lives and relationships, expecting everyone to make personal confessions to her. She was a spiritual leader and self-appointed minister, preaching on Sunday mornings on matters of God and man, and everyone was supposed to be in her large living room. This is the kind of thing that wow. she wow. was like, uh, this is why I left the Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah, this is why. So it's a little familiar. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to be. But it does, you know, and Olgavana was from that kind of a culture and sure, probably wanted course. to instill some of that into this American culture and <laughs> right. make it run properly. <laughs> These trains should run on time, goddammit. So I totally see the influence and I totally see why it's kind of – understandably that Svetlana uh, weird connection to Joseph Stalin. Yeah. Found that but, amazing. But a, but a good one. I yeah. mean, and, and spring green, it all kind of tied in. Yeah. So, so the yeah. last big tie I think to Madison is what you referred to earlier as the mistake on the, the lake. lake. Yeah. Which yeah. is the, the Monona Terrace and convention center. Yeah. Which is actually kind of a beautiful building on the inside and from the lake. Right. Yeah. But well, no, it was a the... huge, from the lake, it looks like the Legion of Doom. I have a boat, and I love looking at the Legion of Doom. I love being out on the lake. If I'm out, it's not on the big lake. It's on Lake Monona. And if you go out on Lake Monona, yeah, it does look like the Legion of Doom. But it's kind of cool. Yeah. I have always, and I'm going to confess this on air now, and I will probably not do this, but I have always, always, because I, I cliff jump, and I know cliff jumping. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. I love it. I do it. And I, I've most recently done it. And I want to jump off that building yeah. and hit the water and swim away from it. <laughs> I don't want someone to catch it on video. It's always been a dream of mine. Um, but I, I'm working on the depth sounding, and I probably won't do it. But if I do, there will be cameras. Because yeah. um, it's the perfect leaping point. Because the way that thing at the top has this nice balcony where you have this beautiful sure. area where people can hang out. It's nice from the top. And they do concerts up there. and. It was originally designed to be office buildings, but they changed it to be some kind of convention center and big open spaces where not much. Well, happens the original, in all the, the time. original right drawings yeah. were gorgeous, mm-hmm. but what it became though is I think the Legion of Doom. Right. I mean, you know, and plus if you jump yeah. off that building, I mean, you're going to hit like probably five feet of algae slime before you even hit water. I know it'll really cushion my fall. <laughs> it will really. The cushion last time my fall. I went swimming in Lake Monona, I it, it was I had a weird itchy thing well, going on after. Itch. Yeah. Someone will have to stand by with some concoction of bleach water. <laughs> get it off me! Get it off me! <laughs> the hazmat team there. Yeah, no shit. I'll alert people if I'm going to do this, but it's been a dream of mine. Stop, drop, and roll. I'm just worried that um they just dumped rocks <clears throat> out there that that it's not deep enough. There's probably yeah, yeah construction sure. debris. That's yeah, what I'm just sure dump. about. It's the construction it's, it's like debris. Backfill and what, the who knows what. The last thing I want to do is jump off a building and yeah. then <laughs> no, and then no. land on some kind of tie rod. <laughs> Plus people and rip myself <laughs> open and be that idiot. <laughs> oh my god they call an ambulance plus everything. there's uh 
people have fished there all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's probably like a hundred thousand fishing lures stuck all, on the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's right. All, all fishing for carp. You guys yeah. are just making it sound more challenging now. <laughs> that just makes me more interested. So yeah. I wouldn't encourage you to. Now Monona Terrace is <laughs> it's based on a right design, mm-hmm. but Wright never designed a convention center. He just designed a civic center. I think it right. was an mm-hmm. office building. Yeah. There's different versions of it. There's some weird versions that I don't really like where he actually extended the parking lot over the lake, which eh, I don't know about that. But it it is a cool building. But what I don't like is there's essentially two structures. There's the Monona Terrace Convention Center, and then there's the Monona Terrace Parking Lot. It is, is the Monona Terrace Parking Lot. Yeah. The parking lot, which is like twice as big as the convention center, mm-hmm. but just ugly. I mean, it's just a box. I, I think Wright would throw up if he saw it because it's just a bunch of – it's just a parking ramp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they definitely didn't spend a lot of money on the parking structure. Right. But it it, it is leaking, though, so it has that right kind of <laughs> feel to it. Feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the glass rods for no particular reason. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 well, those well, are so you can't see Racine. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have glass rods. The, uh, well, Thou the, shalt not see Racine. In the parking structure, uh, some of the doors on the stairwells, yeah. they basically rusted off because the way the water was leaking through. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I think we all really appreciate the artwork and the design of yeah. Frank Lloyd Wright and well, beautiful if you, stuff. If you have some opinions about architecture or Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright or really anything that we said in this podcast, please let us know at feedback at tankriot.com. Gentlemen, do you, th- do you think we've uh, reached the end of the Wright journey? I think we can let people find out for themselves a little bit more. I would say that there's a yeah. few things, like I mentioned the book about the death in the prairie house. I think that's a really fascinating book that people should check out. I've been flipping um, through it, and I, it really looks good to me. I got to tell you, there's some there there are some really piss poor documentaries about Frank Lloyd Wright. There's some really wonderful ones. Um, I would suggest there's one made in the late '90s by Ken Burns. Yes, of the Ken Burns Effect fame, um, <laughs> which stars actually. Uh, William Cronin, who's a historian here at the University of Wisconsin, who's better mm-hmm. known for inciting the right wing's wrath for his pointing out that all the views of Alec are what Scott Walker's up to. So he he became this left wing liberal, and uh, then and then the right wing attacked him and, and tried to seek out all his public documents. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it's a yes, big scale. No, I do. William Cronin's really well known, and he's in this documentary, um, and it's a good documentary, very very long. But but pretty pretty well done. The problem is with most of these documentaries is that they they have a thing they're going to tell you, and that's it. You know, they're not going to go off on tangents. They're going to keep the narrative flowing yeah. smoothly. Unlike Tank Riot, <laughs> yeah. you won't you won't hear <laughs> crazy stuff. You won't hear crazy smack talk about Lego Larry. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it's a pretty well organized documentary. That's about all I'd have to say. Yeah, uh, when I saw, and I'm probably messing up the title, but it's called like magnificent obsession or something like that that sounds right it it was a documentary about wright's journeys to japan Mm. and building the uh imperial hotel and all the other architects that he influenced i thought that was pretty good It, it it um it talked a lot about actually the japanese architects and their careers as well okay so it's not just about Wright, but what i liked about it is every other documentary kind of just skips over that 
you know, it's sick. And he went to Japan. All right. Yeah, in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. It, it, for someone who has been a fan of the Hiroshige Gallery for so long, to finally figure out that it traces back to Frank Lloyd Wright, to me, was really fun. And yeah. so that, yeah. that made this discussion yeah. that's, hilarious that's really, and wonderful I, for that me. That was cool. Okay. So go to the Chase Museum and check out the Hiroshige Collection. It's free. Yeah. You know, just pretend to put a dollar in that bucket as you walk in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, unless you're really rich or something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, can we go to the mailbag tonight or not? I would rather not. Mailbag, no. Let's do let's let's do a double mailbag next time. We're not going to answer your mailbag. Let me just say this then, since right. we're not going to go to mailbag. Uh, donations have been made to Tank Riot, and we made an announcement on our Twitter feed that we were going to uh, half of all donations made to Tank Riot are going to be uh, also given to the. Tesla Museum, which is an oatmeal thing. So go to the oatmeal blog and read more about that. And mm-hmm. please donate to Tank Riot. We'll give half of any donation you give to the uh, project, which is trying to bring about a Tesla Museum. Well, so, I think we have a time frame on that of August. August. So okay. we've gotten some so, donations in August. So send us some more. And you yeah. can also Although give to probably, us we, and we, give to the <laughs> Tesla Museum. By the time you hear this, it'll be September. It's September, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, so But there you go. thanks to all of you who did donate in August, and we will be putting a portion of those donations to the Tesla Museum. Thank you very much. <laughs> yep. Oh, and then um, I was thinking about playing the song So Long, Frank Lloyd Wright by Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, uh, but, you know, obviously I can't get the rights to that. So I couldn't legally play it. I would have to sneak it into the podcast, which I'm not going to do. But what's hilarious about that song is it is really about Art Garfunkel. So if you listen to the song, the song is all about how, oh, <laughs> how soon you're gone. How so how so soon, so soon. Frank Lloyd Wright died at the age of 91 mm-hmm. of an infection in his gut. And he died during surgery. 91 years old is not so soon, so soon. Frank Lloyd was around for a long, long time and had yes. a long, long influence. Yeah. Uh, but but Paul Simon didn't know much about Frank Lloyd right when he was writing the song. So he was really writing about how his relationship with Art Garfunkel, because of cocaine use and whatnot and whatever, was ending. He's going to go solo. Oh, Art Garfunkel was, a, was doing the blow? Oh, yeah. Art Garfunkel had a huge drug problem. I wow. did not know this. Yeah. And uh, and Paul wasn't going to be you know putting up with um, Art Garfunkel for much longer, so he wrote "So Long, Frank Lloyd Wright" oh, about Art Garfunkel, weird. and didn't tell Art until very you know much later. <laughs> wow. Did Art find out that that was about him, and it hurt his feelings? And I don't blame him. Oh. Art, that would hurt my feelings too. So I'm with you on that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to play that song, but I am going to feature more local music by local Madison bands. Um, coming up real soon is going to be Dick the Bruiser, who have a new CD out. They play theremin in their group. Um, I'm not sure if it's always on their albums, but I'm going to talk more to Kevin, uh, the guy from Dick the Bruiser. But for this episode, I thought it would be more fitting to feature one more song by Oedipus Tex, (laughs) which is kind of fitting for Frank Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, The song we're going to play is called Yonder. And it's on uh, Baracho Corazon, which is the third album from Oedipus Tex. And we'll play that now. Good evening. This has been Tank Riot. You never 
What the real Sputnik? <laughs> Here's a transcript of saying I killed JFK. <laughs> Fuck the president. Do <laughs> you got the hidden Sputnik tapes? Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't it wasn't because you really didn't like him. It's just you didn't properly know how to handle a rifle when you were what? what was it? <laughs> three, three, <laughs> yeah, three. <laughs> but I was already an expert with a Manlicker Carcano. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could squeeze three with the bolt. <laughs> We're go. That looks good. Awesome. Let us begin. All right. 127. Ideas. <laughs> 